With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, John. It's good to see you again. What's that, John? Oh. You're sorry. That's okay. But I was the sacrifice the island demanded. Don't worry. You'll speak when you have something worth saying. I'm here to help you find your way again. So you can bring the family back together. to go back down the hatch it's the lost rewatch podcast here on post show recap season three episode three we made you wait for further instructions coming out on a saturday when we usually come out on fridays that only matters for the people who are listening to this live hello everybody i'm josh wiggler joined here by a man who may be having visions of the future and is definitely podcasting naked mike bloom how did you know my secret shame, Josh? That's my secret. Uh, I'm always naked. Uh, you yeah. know, apologies <laughs> that we're coming to you a day late. We did have to spend an extra 24 hours in a polar bear cave lying on our deathbeds. But I think our deaths are averted for maybe a couple of episodes or so. Yeah, we're fine for now, uh, according to, to the Boone yeah. assessment of everybody. Can't Very s- casual assessment of Charlie, right? He's fine. For like the next, uh, you know, 20 episodes. Yeah, can't say the same thing about that Tonka truck, but by comparison, we're pretty good. <laughs> we're doing okay. All right, we're talking further instructions. It's season three, episode three. It's the first John Locke flashback of season three. First of three mm. John Locke-centric episodes. And Mike, we are we are dealing with one of the single most notorious flashbacks in Lost history today. Yeah, and, you know, this is, I think, when people talk about the time in which the production was at of really, for lack of a better term, going back to our Tonka Trunk example, spinning its wheels as to how they're going to expand on the stories of these characters. I think a lot of people look to the two-pronged approach of Locke on the Pot Farm and Jack going to Thailand and Stranger in a Strange Land as saying, okay, what more do we have to say about these characters' past? And look, I am not here to quibble with that. I will say at the top, you know, I think some one of the most reviled flashbacks in Lost history may not be a microcosm of the episode overall. We'll obviously get to our overall thoughts later on in the episode. 
But I will say, Josh, while we had one of the most non-essential episodes of Lost last week so far, I would posit that this week's episode might be one of the sloppiest in Lost so far. I thought that you were going to say one of the most sloppiest essential episodes uh, of Lost, and I would actually throw that back at you. Is this an episode that for the John Locke character we need, right? Because John Locke has spent so much of the back portion of season two losing his faith in the island, getting frustrated, um, really like getting swallowed up by the vortex of ha- of Hatch 8 uh, to the point where he, along with Desmond and Echo, presumably are imploded with the Hatch and somehow miraculously survive. And the John Locke that we are going to get for the next long while is going to be a journeyman Locke, is going to be a Locke that is much closer to his season one roots um, but with even more um, forward momentum, I think, in in a lot of ways. Like in season one, he finds the hatch and that becomes sort of his precious. That becomes the thing that he obsesses over. Uh, in in season three, he is, he is a lot more on his feet, as it were. Um, and I think that this episode is what puts us on that path and has elements of like really getting John back into his roots, um, having him somebody who has to, has to communicate with his actions, with his hands, with a pen and pad at one point. <laughs> yeah, who knew um, that John Locke was part of the guilty remnant years before it would exist? You know, all he needed was a cigarette and a white robe. He could have borrowed one from the others. Uh, uh, well, listen, you know. his skin was alabaster enough to, when he was going <laughs> shirtless to count as that. But yeah, I think that from a lock arc perspective, this is essential for his season three. And I would even say it's even furthering getting back to his roots and more so pushing Locke in the direction of a hunter. Because when you look at what John Locke is going to do at the end of season three, which is to kill somebody for possibly, you know, messing with the island, with the the prospects of people trying to leave it. That feels like a big step for the character of John Locke, and I I feel like this episode in combination of his overall season three arc is going to get him to that place. So I do agree that it's not as non-essential or, you know, water-treading as last week was, but what I do feel like is the, the couple of good things and interesting things that came from this episode we're a little obfuscated in what I consider kind of questionable choices. Uh, there yeah. are a, a couple of nuggets that I'm, I'm obviously would love to highlight. There's some really interesting stuff going on, but at large, there's also a lot of really confusing th- choices being made, and not confusing in the way of the trippy airport sequence, but more so looking at Darlton in the writer's room and saying, okay, this is how we want to bring these characters back for this episode? Right. I so so to skip ahead a little bit. Um you know, we do the 4.2 stars every week where we we ask the listeners of Down the Hatch to send in their scores for each episode on a scale of 0 to 4.2. Uh and we take that average and we combine that average with my score, your score and we get our official Down the Hatch score. And as of this recording, the listener average is a 2.6. Uh, this episode is really all over the map for mm-hmm. the listenership. It goes as high as a 3.7. It goes as low as a 0. 0.7. Uh, so it is it is really all across the board. And we've had some uh, some people write in with um uh with their with their in defense of and their uh their takedown yeah, the prosecution of, for, of further instructions and i i think it would, it would be helpful to to read some of that at the top of this um 
for for example, the great Ben behind the curtain really dislikes this episode. He's that aforementioned 0.7. Ben writes in, I dislike nearly everything about this episode. Its only redeeming features are some of the humor and getting a first hint toward Desmond's abilities. Locke as a pot farmer is, for me, the worst flashback of the series. The Boone appearance adds nothing but fan service. It waves away the survival of the hatch dwellers without even trying to provide an answer. And literally none of the episode matters or even gets a call back. On top of all that, it's responsible for introducing Nikki and Paolo. Um, that is the Ben Martell uh, slam on further instructions. The great Jim Fells, who provides phenomenal music analysis on Jim Fells' YouTube page, which we call out every week here on Down the Hatch, and it's in the show notes this week as well. Um, Jim Fells writes in, oof, further instructions. Locke loses his voice and regains it 10 minutes into the episode, and I'm still not exactly sure why any of it happens. Echo gets kidnapped by a polar bear? He gets saved, only to die two episodes later from this one. Locke's flashback is so pointless that they actually deleted its conclusion from the episode and figured, well, this works just fine as well. Um, I didn't know that about the flashbacks, Mike. Yeah, there's a there's a deleted scene called Lock Escapes, where actually the final scene of the flashback is, I don't know if it takes place right after Lock lets Eddie go into the woods, Harry and the Henderson style, but it Lock sort of like uh, comes back from the woods, sees a bunch of the people in the commune, including Jan and Mike, getting arrested. Eddie is sort of overseeing the entire operation, looks at Lock, they sort of exchange glares, and then Eddie goes off with people to assumingly incarcerate them. Um, some uh, some arguments in favor of further instructions. Jesse Camacho, the great Jesse Camacho, writes, and any lock episode is at least a three out of 4.2 for me, mm. even if this one is just a three. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick short and sweet says this episode is slightly better than fire plus water at least so i i, I, I would the- i would agree with that what i will say yeah. again i don't want to like do things out of order and put the the last part at the beginning here but what i will say is to me the parts that i dislike the most about episodes like fire plus water and adrift namely which were that the characters i just did not like watching them they were uh really undergoing some very bad and cringeworthy behavior that didn't necessarily happen in this episode for me for me my foibles come more so with why they chose to incorporate certain things into it and the plotting of it all so i do agree that this episode at least has that above us where there's going to be some moments where characters are certainly annoying don't get me wrong we're going to get into Charlie in this episode and his season three debut. Charlie is horrible in this episode. He's just a little twerp. He's a little he's asshole in this, in this episode, episode. with yeah, hair he's to terrible. boot. Um, but I think that, you know, at least what this ep- this episode didn't have Sawyer and Mark Michael yelling at each other for an entire night or Charlie just acting completely off his gourd over the course of an entire episode. So at least I agree with, with uh, Fitzy. It does at least have that. Yeah, it's definitely better for me than Adrift and Fire Plus Water. Uh, and I think a big piece of that is like we're not just like constantly relitigating events in this episode. At least we're doing new stuff. And I do think that this is an episode that pushes John in an interesting direction. I think it's an interesting smoke monster episode. I'm holding Possibly. out my hand to the, to, the, to the butterfly and asking, is this a smoke monster? I firmly believe that the boon we see in the sweat lodge is indeed oh, the smoke interesting, monster. Because I'm going to say he's not, but we'll get to All it. All right. 
we'll we'll talk that through. But I think at the very least, then like there is an interesting island conversation to be had there. Um, but I think that this is a classic season three episode in the sense that what I, what I had said coming into season three, why I think that this is secretly my favorite season of the show and maybe the best season of the show is because it is the lostiest season of Lost. Uh, so this is a season where the highs are going to be outstandingly high and the lows are going to be pretty low. Uh, and I think that this is a good distillation of that second thing, of, of the low point of here we are in season three and we are not going to be able to help ourselves but spin the wheels on the Tonka truck or the Tanaka truck, as oh, it no. were. Trisha Tanaka episodes, truck is dead. You know, in, in a few episodes from now, um, for better and for worse. Uh, and I, I think that this is an example of being feeling like the flashback format is this unshakable albatross were there opportunities here to do something unusual and different with further instructions i've advocated in the past for why not just have like instead of a flashback a fever dream why not have boone oh along for the ride with Locke and charlie yeah i mean you know? I, w- and- I would even say if they were somehow able to create the entire airport sequence which far and away was my favorite part of this episode if they made that the entire a plot or like flashback quote unquote uh side plot i am much much higher on this episode yeah i but i i even think like boone goes on the trip with john and and charlie uh enhances that because it it's this whole idea of john saying like stay away from me bad things happen to the people who are with me and boone kind of has like this like tongue in cheek like half-hearted mocking of john mm, uh in yeah. the in the tent i mean again and that's that, another that's that is a, that's another leftovers reference like that's that's damon possibly planting the seeds for that plot point later down the line if that is smoke monster type material, uh, even if it's not, I think the way that you can juxtapose that first episode of season three for Charlie with the ghost of Boone hanging around with him that he couldn't see like the entire episode and then to have him at the end of the season being uh, what he decides to be a sacrifice that the island demands, uh, I think I think could be a cool book ending. Um, so, I mean, that's fan fiction-y stuff. I think that even removing that, it's pretty clear that this is an episode that struggled this was supposed to be episode two. It's episode three. We're supposed to have different scenes with Nikki and Paolo in here. They're trying to airdrop these characters who've been part of 815 the entire time. It's like trying to have Billy and Rodney just show up in the middle of season three. Very, very strange. Not really going to work. Um, and yeah, obviously, uh, as you as you mentioned, this, uh, this ending to the flashback scenes that I didn't even know existed. Um, I think that this was an episode that they had a hard time figuring out how to make this fit. But I would also argue that maybe what's happening happening in the content of the of the flashback even if like locks is a pot farmer and they're the pot's bad you know like, <laughs> sort of like you know like weed is bad weed is bad drugs are bad like, okay all, yeah okay uh mr <laughs> mr lock uh like so there's just like you know there's there's some stuff with that that's really really hokey but I, I think the idea of of Locke's journey having been like struggling to find a family, struggling to find a family that believes in him, struggling to find a family that he feels like he can be a provider for is really consistent with uh, John Locke's story overall, um, I think, and, and the frustrations he's felt his entire life. So I don't mind seeing how, because in life it is so true, that you spin the drain, right? Like your problems are constantly circular, uh, circling. Uh, you don't just conquer a thing. Even if you've beaten a thing, it is always circling. Maybe I'm just projecting. Uh, but I, th- I think that often like the big obstacles of your life 
it's you learn how to live with the fact that they are circling. You learn how to like appreciate uh, the, the the constant presence of these things, or at least you learn how to accommodate the constant presence of these things. Um, and then when you're being defeated by this stuff, it's letting you, you know, it's letting those things sink you further and further. And I think for a character like John Locke to see how this has been a cycle for him um, adds to the tragedy, even if it's sloppy. I will say... I think like in the way where like I can map that onto the John Locke journey and say like there are ways in which further instructions is consistent with John Locke's story. I think as an episode, it's sloppy. I totally agree with you. I think this is one of the sloppier episodes of Lost. I think it is mostly an unnecessary flashback. I don't think that we need any of that mm. stuff. And I would say the utility it provides is of a lower quality then Stranger in a Strange Land coming Ooh. up. Well, we'll definitely, I will definitely say that. Yeah, I mean, we'll put a pin in that for, what, like uh, six, a month and a half, six weeks from now, because that's a really interesting point. I mean, I know you made the long-held point about how essential that flashback is tied into the big reveal, possibly the biggest reveal in Lost history with, I think through the, the Looking Glass. The, I think what's essential is that space, right? That idea that that Jack can sink so low. And to remind you of it, and to give you another episode following the, the premiere, which gets you there, to get you in that space of Jack could sink so low that in the flash forward, you believe it's a flashback. You believe that at some point in his past, Jack was at such a low. Um, the flashback itself mega sloppy and really weird and we'll get into that i'm not i think like beat for beat pound for pound there's a conversation to be had is like on on like a just like a straightforward level is the further instructions flashback easier to watch and more tolerable Mm. than the stranger in a strange land flashback but i think the utility of the stranger in a strange land flashback is uh for me undeniably greater uh than the further instructions one interesting um so that's that's the argument that I will make uh, in advance. I will not stop banging the the stranger in a strange land is not as bad as everybody thinks drum, uh, even though it's still going to be at its highest somewhere in the twos. Yeah, uh, Listen, and it will be low twos, low twos a, for sure. It's a dusty drum. Nobody has really banged it in a while. But but let's stop being Desmond here. Let's stop talking about the future. I guess we should focus on the episode proper. <laughs> we'll, we'll focus on the episode proper. But I think uh, a, a good conversation to have about the episode as we talk through the details of the episode, some quick uh, foresight stuff. We're not done with the Desmond of it all quite yet. Just to remind you, the schedule is a little wonky right now, but it, we're almost through it. Uh, you're getting further instructions here on a Saturday. Uh, you will be getting every man for himself early. You will be getting every man for himself, the Sawyer flashback, on August 12th. That's a Wednesday Get your feedback in by August 9th. You can send that in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Yeah. So literally, then, if you're listening to this on a Saturday or even on a Sunday, watch rest stop right now and you want to get feedback in and cost watch the cost of living, then send your stuff in because, yeah, this is going to be a super quick turnaround on this. So as a spoiler alert, we might be light on feedback for that particular episode, which is fine. That's another weird episode. But yeah, you're going to have pretty rapid fire dth is here for the next little bit okay so that's every man for himself and then on august 15th on 8 15 it's a one year anniversary of the existence of down the hatch we're going to revisit one year's worth of coverage we're going to go over some feedback you've sent in so that's a bonus podcast that's coming your way for our birthday party it's going to be so fun mike uh and then after that we'll be back on track with friday podcast starting with mr echo's death episode the cost 
of living. Um, before we get into the episode, one last bit of business. I want to thank our sponsors for this episode of Down the Hatch, and those are our friends over at Upstart. During these economically turbulent times, everyone is looking for a way to feel more financially secure. So if you're still needlessly throwing money every month at high-interest credit card debt, it's time you checked out Upstart, the revolutionary online lending platform that knows you're more than just a credit score. Now is the time to find out how low your Upstart rate can be to help pay off high-interest credit card debt. Unlike other lenders, Upstart can reward you based on your education and job history in the form of a smarter rate. You don't need a degree or diploma to apply, though. Upstart lets you skip going to the bank because it's completely online. They offer loans from $1,000 to $50,000 so you can consolidate your debt into one easy fixed rate payment. Upstart makes it fast and simple to check your rate since it's just a soft pull. It's not going to affect your credit score. I love a soft pull. The hard pull happens if you accept your rate and proceed with your application. And the best part, Mike, is if the loan is approved and accepted, most people get their funds the very next business day. Uh, So over 400,000 people have used Upstart to pay off credit cards or meet their financial goals. You could free yourself from the burden of high-interest credit card debt and get back to using your money your way with Upstart. So see why Upstart has a 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot. Different uh, grading rubric than we use here in Down the Hatch, <laughs> but a 4.9 would be a, a lights-out episode of Lost, Mike. A 4.9 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot. So hurry to upstart.com slash post to find out how low your Upstart rate can be. Checking your rate only takes a few minutes. Go to upstart.com slash post. With that said, Mike, let's go forth into the jungle. Let's talk further instructions directed by the great Stephen Williams. Uh, it's written by Carlton Cuse and Elizabeth Sarnoff. It aired October 18th, 2006, even though it was originally supposed to air on October 11th, 2006 in the place of the Glass Ballerina. Yeah, so I guess we should we should bring that up again. I don't want to belabor the point too much, uh, but I know we got a question from Mike Puncher. Love that last name. Uh, that basically asked, you know, uh, well, he made a joke that episode three should have been titled "The Grass Ballerina" initially, and that the titles were swapped. <laughs> but now, now that we've seen both episodes recently, Josh, what would you think about swapping the order? Did they ultimately make the right decision in swapping this with episode two last week? I think that the right decision is probably a reconceiving of these episodes from the ground up. Mm, sort of like um, what, what the what you posited for the first three episodes, which was more so like try to mix more stuff together so that episode two does not come across as like the one that sticks out. You know, um, th- oftentimes a survivor season will have like a 90 minute premiere or sometimes a two hour premiere. And it's like one episode after another. Um, and I always enjoy that because I think it's an opportunity to, to right out of the gate, get to know some foundational storylines early mm-hmm. on, get to meet the cast, get to meet the players really early on. Um, I think that whenever possible, that is a great tact for lost to take. And it's not a tact that they take, Often, I, I believe that they take it three times out of the, the course of the series. They do it with, uh, well, not even with the pilot. They aired the first part. Yep. Um, but that episode is designed as a two-parter. Um, season five, I believe they aired the first two episodes uh, back to back. I might be wrong about that. Um, and season six, they definitely did. Yeah. Season six was LAX part one and two. Um, 
I think probably with the amount of story that's in the air, um, it would not have hurt to treat season uh, season three's premiere specifically. But even in retrospect, I do think that there is an argument about season two. I know that we miss a lot of the great turns and reveals, and we talked about that. Um, but I, I think here with season three, there aren't like great turns and reveals that needed to be um, spared on the week to week. I think if you collapse the ideas that are occurring across further instructions, the glass ballerina and a tale of two cities, you can probably tell that entire story over the course of two truncated hours. And Mm. I think it's probably better off for it. Um, So I don't even know about flipping further instructions in glass ballerina. I don't know if that does anything. I think combining the um the amount of stuff that happens in glass ballerina and further instructions and playing that out over the course of a single hour and mashing that with the content of the tale of two cities that's probably the way to go uh and you end this entire arc with ben linus's introduction and the red sox winning the world series i Mm -hmm. think that that becomes suddenly a ridiculously powerful two-hour premiere yeah i think if you have that as the final scene, and maybe the penultimate scene is the ominous, oh my god, Desmond's actually psychic reveal. That's like a great one-two punch in a similar way as stealing Walt and blowing up the hatch was in Exodus. Because I'm, I'm sort of of two minds as to whether these episodes work as flipped. Because on the one hand, when you're leaving season two, the two biggest questions you have besides what the hell were those people doing in that igloo was, you know, what happened to Jack, Kate, and Sawyer? And what the hell happened to the hatch? And so from that right. perspective, sending spending an episode in between focusing on three people on a boat that you were not necessarily completely concerned with is a weird choice. But on the other hand, this episode actually connects better with Every Man for Himself next week's episode than The Glass Ballerina in that, you know, we get an immediate, not an, a follow-up, but sort of a successor to the aforementioned reveal of Desmond at the end of this episode with the whole lightning rod thing that's eventually going to lead into, you're gonna die, Charlie. So I feel right. like from that perspective, the momentum helps to have this episode in episode three, even if it had people sitting there for an extra week being like, but what happened to the people in the hatch? Yeah, and to Ben Martell's point, uh, the show's largely uninterested in like finding some sort of realistic explanation for that. And and when we begin the episode, and we will go forth into the jungle now and start talking through the episode, we open on an eye. Love that. Been a while, and it's mm. John Locke, and there's like... Well, not really. Uh, we opened on Juliet's eye a couple of episodes ago, but it's been a while sure. since we've opened on John Locke's eye. But but it's it's very evocative because it's John Locke laid out in the jungle, right? Uh, and it it sort of has this vibe of Jack waking up in the jungle all the way back in the day. It's like a rebirth or is or walkabout. What has occurred here? Yeah, you know. But I, I think like even like the circumstances of him being like literally in the forest and like getting in the forest and he's looking around and there's all sorts of strange things that are happening and out of context, uh, you know, mysteries that are occurring around him feels very Jack like to me, uh, to the point of seeing, uh, you know, a, a naked animal running around, except it's Desmond <laughs> instead of Vincent. Ooh, fan theory. Desmond was Vincent the entire time. What if, uh, the, uh, hatch had made, uh, the hatch implosion made Desmond and Vincent body swap? Oh my god. Uh, and so that's or, Vincent running around in Desmond's naked body. Or what if Desmond's an anamorph? What if the yes. aliens came down and <laughs> yeah. he touched the cube as part Could of be. his orientation and as a result he Could can be. turn into a golden retriever? So this is a day after the hatch has blown up? 
it seems like. Um, and Mr. Echo's stick is dropping out of the sky at this point. Desmond is naked. John Locke is not. Um, and the show never really makes a major effort to explain how any of this was possible. Mm. And it's never been something that has really stuck in my craw in the, in the long haul. I think it's a, it's an example of the things that are great about lost far outweigh the things that are wonky about it for me, but it's wonky. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's got an entire factory full of Oompa Loompas. It's that wonky. And I think for me, it just feels like either the writers are saying, like, we want to move on to better stuff, or them sort of giving a mea culpa being like, okay, maybe the events of the season two finale were not completely thought out. Because, yeah, it's it's just, it brings up more questions than it answers. You know, how were they all, except for Echo, completely intact, including Charlie? Why did only Desmond lose his clothes? Did it come as a result of him close to the failsafe key? What did the failsafe key exactly do? Were they transported out of the hatch by Jacob or something? There's, there's, when you have to create so much headcanon that you give yourself a, a Charlotte Lewis esque bloody nose by the end of it, you know, it's, it's a weird, weird way to follow up on things which is to say no real follow-up whatsoever on these things yeah and i think it's interesting because uh often i'll advocate for uh, you don't have to answer everything sometimes you know and it's a lesson that lindelof learns and utilizes to beautiful uh effect in the leftovers as you've said uh let the mystery be um and i think that there's a lot of examples along the way from loss where it's like you don't need to address that just let it be uh but i think that like one of the things that needed to happen in the show was for there to be more concern about WTF just happened with the purple sky. That was wild. WTF just happened with the people who are suddenly missing from the hatch. Should there be more of an effort to go and find these people if a full day is passing? Because by the time that uh, Locke comes back to camp, a day has passed and Claire's like, oh, Charlie, look, it's Locke. You should go talk to John. What? And like everyone's just like kind of treating it very casually. And that is the bigger deal to me is like if the characters are treating it like very, very lightly and there isn't a sense of urgency surrounding the fact that the sky just turned purple, uh, that only Hurley is going to be the guy who brings it up. And even then, like he'll move on to time travel pretty quick. Uh, you know, like that's the bigger issue for me. Like at least with like the whispers and stuff, there's constantly people being being like what what are the whispers all about and like this is super weird and this is very concerning um but there isn't really much of that at all with the events of season two so we took issue with like the pacing of the season two finale is like very surreal um order of events and i think that that complaint is still carrying through here and i don't really know why it ended up this way um maybe it's it, it it felt too hard to dramatize that stuff or it felt like it would be too hard to dramatize that stuff and have John Locke show back up in sort of like shaman status uh, by the time that he returns um, from, from his trip to the hatch. Uh, but it like leaves us with the job of like, do we, do we need to fill a void with right. some fan fiction? Did John Locke go on some sort of time traveling expedition? He doesn't remember or what, but it's just very strange. It's very strange. I, I just am so weirded out that he returns back to camp and nobody pays him any mind. And I guess it either falls upon the gawkers for, you know, just not giving a crap about John Locke. I mean, I suppose he hasn't really done any great stuff for them lately. He's been so concerned with the hats that maybe they've seen Neri ha, uh, hair nor hide of John Locke, who has a lack of hair. Or do we put it on Charlie, 
who again, at the end of season two, saunters casually back to camp like he just took a leisurely stroll. And who knows, maybe he spread the word to the gawkers of like, don't worry, everything's fine. They'll make their way back to camp, almost like they were runaway animals that would eventually find their way home. Maybe Charlie is like, if they're dead, this is good. (laughs) Because John Locke is a dick. uh, And Mr. Echo is just going to have me like being like his caddy. You know, like I have to ferry his luggage back from the church. Need to the I hatch remind to you that church. he neither called nor wrote me? All right, well, let's stop down uh, because here we go. Sound number one from this episode. This is going to be Charlie confronting John Locke, and we've we've hyped this up for weeks now. It's time to deliver. So you're gone for a whole day after a massive hatch detonation. You don't call. You don't write. Theft! Third Outright verse, theft. same as the first. Joke theft! Thoke Jeft! Uh, Joke theft! I said, said Thoke Jeft! Yeah, Thoke Jeft! Thoke Jeft! Thoke Jeft! Yeah, yeah, so I think that that's the end of the You Don't Call, You Don't Write trilogy. Good. <laughs> but well, a, I'm glad that we really faced trilogy. the return of the king of You Don't write, Call, You Don't Write in a manner of speaking. You know, it didn't really land with Echo when Charlie did it, and uh, it didn't land with Locke. Granted, Locke couldn't return any dialogue because he couldn't speak at the time. But maybe after trying it twice, he's like, ah, this, this doesn't work with me. I shouldn't do the you don't call, you don't write joke anymore. Yeah, let's talk about that. Because we also see, so yeah, we've sort of uh, not really mentioned the thing that Locke has lost his voice. Or as, you know, Ben Martell or I think uh, Jim Fells wrote, he'll lose it for like the first act or first two acts of this episode. I've been trying to headcan it as sort of like in the way that Deus Ex Machina the island, you know, removed uh, the use of John's legs as sort of a punishment for him questioning his faith to the cause that it is sort of doing the same thing here. Is that your, your thought as well, that the island is sort of like the disciplinarian parent at this point being like, John, I told you to press the button and you didn't. So now you can't talk for the next half hour. Yeah. Or it's the smoke monster. And the smoke monster has shrunk down into very, 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 very tiny smoke mode and has its tendrils wrapped around John's vocal cords. Interesting. And it's going to release itself from John's vocal cords inside the sweat lodge. And so it's like a combination of Ant-Man and the symbiote from Spider-Man. Yes. Yes. It's the, the smoke monster is Venom confirmed. We are smoke monster. Yeah. Lock. Yeah. Oh, he maybe it would be more appropriate if the smoke monster infiltrated uh, John's uh, pot farming buddy Eddie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eddie Locke. Ooh, that could Eddie, be their ship. Eddie Locke. That yeah, could be their ship name. <laughs> yes, it, it, that's again like they start off with the many, many weird choices, and that's one of them. That Locke is mute, which I think would be an interesting choice if they kept that for the entire episode. Right. Otherwise, it it feels very arbitrary. Yeah, it just feels like, yeah, we're going to have Terry O'Quinn not talk for the first 20 minutes of the episode because it's mysterious. You know, the episode is, uh, as a writer's room and for Terry O'Quinn, finding John Locke's voice again, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this is a Locke who's been pencil pushing for the last uh, several weeks of the show. Uh, and now he's he's back to being the hunter. Um, and so is there a metaphor there of like, we're robbing him of his voice and now we're giving it back? The island's giving it back. Sure, but I don't think it lands uh, with like sort of like the ooh, ah factor that they, they hoped it would. Um, I think that it, it just does land with sort of like, 
you know, a, a sloppy thud yeah, into, I mean, the, into the shallow water. Again, compared to Deus Ex Machina, where Locke spends the entire episode, like, his legs slowly degrade, and, you know, to the point where he is pleading with Boone to believe his story and have him help him to the beachcraft that will ultimately doom him. That's beautifully stretched out over the course of the episode to the point where he's dragging himself to the hatch to angrily bang on it, demanding why this happened to him. Compare that to here, where this entire quote-unquote arc happens over the course of a third of the episode. And it's like, if you stretch this out, it would have been made more meaningful instead of just having this be one little plot point in an overall, you know, exodus for Locke, quite literally. Uh, all right, so Charlie's there, and he's very nonchalant, and they're playing charades. And I, I just, I really dislike Charlie in this episode. I think mm. season three is going to write the Charlie ship in a big way, um, but he starts off in in a way that's just very grating to me. Uh, the way that he's just so relaxed about seeing Locke, uh, it doesn't help that he has this brutal haircut. Oh man, do you think that's what the you know the 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 hatchet and plushes? They clean are... this up, right? This cleans up over the course of the season. I think or is so. he like this the whole time? Maybe next episode, the lightning strike kind of like singes some hair off of him. <laughs> uh, maybe the thing is, so you know, in the hatch implosion, Locke loses his voice. Desmond loses his clothes and becomes psychic. Maybe it grew Charlie's hair. It punished him by mm-hmm. giving him like a pretty bad mod squad haircut. Yeah, it's just tough. It's a tough look. He's got this really strange mullet. Uh, and he's wandering around with, with Locke, who's like gesturing at everything. He needs to speak. He can't speak. You need to talk to the trees. I hear they're great talkers. The church. I mean, listen, Char- Charlie sky. in another life spent a lot of time with trees. So I think that's actually said in sincerity. Uh, and so did Locke, apparently. Uh, and then, it's, of course, it's the island. He's got to speak to the island. Ooh, spooky, spooky. And we get the lost sign. The logo shows up. And then when we cut back, uh, we're back with Charlie and Locke, except in a totally new scene. Yeah, did, did Charlie just like say K and then walk away That's from Locke? That's what apparently happened. That's what apparently <laughs> happened because Charlie's now off doing something totally unrelated. <laughs> yeah, I Locke guess limps I, up to him. I think he's working on the project he was working on with Saeed. Of I guess they were they were trying to build like an expansion to the pantry, maybe some sort of like breakfast nook with the parachute yeah. from the supply drop as a roof. Yeah. So I don't know, but he comes back and he says, "I need your help." He, or I guess Locke writes this with pen and paper. I need your help. I need you to stand guard. Do you think this is uh, how Locke believe- texts is he uses the letters and numbers? He's very millennial in that regard. See, I thought that he forgot a comma in there. Uh, I need you to stand guard. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, well, like, I, he, I, I guess I could play uh, Liver Without You on guitar. Yeah, uh, he needs or, or stand guard uh, a U2 song in the Lost Universe. Mm, it's like sort of a B-side. Maybe U2 stole the song Stand Guard from Drive Shaft. And he knows that's probably him like, uh, you know, really poking Charlie. Yeah, maybe to get Locke's voice back, uh, Charlie needs to evoke Bono and the edge simultaneously could you imagine luck goes to the sweat lodge and bono's there <laughs> screw buno uh, Buno, oh, buno. Yeah. yeah i want buno hello hello <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> uno dos tres catorce those are the new numbers yeah. <laughs> put in the following numbers one two three fourteen catorce <laughs> numbers the numbers are terrile the numbers are bad uh, so I need you to stand guard is what he says to Charlie 
Uh, and Charlie's like, you really want me to be the guard? Don't you remember when you punched me in the face and you accused me of using heroin even though I wasn't using heroin? Okay, so the official canon mm. then, Mike, is Charlie was not using heroin or Charlie was using heroin, and even now he's continuing to lie about it. Honestly, so. either one is believable. I know that, you, like you said, we're, we're in for a redemption story with Charlie yeah. in this season, but again, given given fire plus water, I mean, listen, Charlie is up on his moral high horse for a good portion of this episode when it comes to Locke, and I think we got like a snip of it in Live Together, Die Alone, when Charlie finds Locke crying in the middle of the jungle, and then sort of like, Hey, uh, sucks to be you. By the way, Desmond's here if you want to talk to him. But this is really bearing out where Charlie is just trying to verbally punch Locke in the face many yeah. times. And it, it's not, uh, it's not very fun. No, it's, it's unfun. Uh, all right. We get into the flashbacks and it's a pouring rainstorm. And here comes John Locke, pickup truck, flashback hair, trucker hat. Looking grand. Mm. And he pulls over. And the, and the hat, I think, helps cover up some of the hair, which obviously is thinning more so than the previous John Locke flashbacks, indicating this takes place after all those events with Anthony Cooper. Uh, but still, you know, wig Ontario Quinn is still a weird sight. It's still a little strange. Uh, and I, I know we've had some questions about where does this take place in the timeline. I think pretty safely this takes place post-Helen. Yeah, and I I've, think that I think this is post Helen. This is after Helen has broken up with him. I think that this sequentially is going to make sense the most if it takes place after lockdown. Because if you are trying to set up the arc for John Locke, right? Like it's he, Anthony Cooper uh, allegedly died. He didn't. He ruins the relationship with Helen. Helen leaves him. John Locke is lost, confused, finds new family in this pot farming compound with, uh, what are their names? Jan and, and whatever the heck. Mike and Jan. Uh, thumbs down to Mike and Jan. Uh, that he uh, then screws that whole thing up. And that brings him to the hotel room where he's just like living in a very sad life uh, after having lost family yet again and feeling even more and more like he just can't win. Um, so I think it just it makes by far and away to me the most sense to take place after lockdown unless you have an alternate read on it. No, uh, to the point where I believe people pause, you know, when we eventually look at Eddie's records that Jan finds. I believe this episode is supposed to take place in 1995, uh, which okay. obviously takes place before the events of Oceanic 815 in 2004. But I believe that the stuff from, you know, uh, Deus Ex Machina and Orientation and Lockdown occur like sometime in the early to mid nineties. So that all makes sense. I think the, um, the flashbacks between this and the man from Tallahassee are going to go in relatively chronological order here. Um, all right. So here he is. We pull the car over as a hitchhiker and it's Justin Chapman. Yes. I most infamously uh, know him personally as Goku in the movie sure. Dragon Ball Evolution. Yeah. Yeah. He was Goku in the Dragon Ball movie. Uh, he was uh, a, a key fixture in shameless. I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, and every time I've ever seen him, I've just thought of Eddie, as Venom would call him. Uh, this is this is the debut of Eddie, undercover cop, uh, hanging out with pot farmer John Locke. Let's listen in. My name's John. Eddie. Hi, Eddie. Thank you. Nasty day to be hitching. That's for sure. You don't mind my asking, what's in Eureka? I heard there was uh, some work there. Cutting timber. Oh, is that what you do? 
that might be what I do. I don't know. All I know is that I had to get out of where I came from. Mom's dead. Dad's drunk. Hey, look at that. The rain is fast. When you rob a bank, great so. Josh, what if in an alternate universe we get another take on whatever the case may be where John Locke is Kate's accomplice and he was indeed a <laughs> bank robber during this time? Uh, that would, I would have so many questions <laughs> about so many things. So many questions. I mean, listen, it's better than the alternative, though I guess anything is. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so we know we're going to find out at the end of this episode that Eddie is an undercover cop sent to infiltrate this pot farm. And he's that, a narc, quite literally. Yeah, he's a narc. And he specifically... Uh, targeted John Locke because he's, quote, amenable for coercion. So we have to imagine that the whole, you know, dad's dead, mom's a drunk is a line, right? That's his line, and that yes. makes John Locke come with him, and Eddie will be leaving with well, a that's bunch why of people he's, in tow. Yeah, he's coming with John Locke to the pot farm, and Locke is leaving without his pot farming buddies by the end of this thing. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it makes sense. Again, you know, he's not going with John Locke's exact <laughs> story. Uh, you uh-huh. know, I think that would probably be a little too suspicious, but he knows that John Locke has parent issues. Maybe he went to that same PI that was used in Deus Ex Machina that apparently was working for Anthony Cooper. Uh, and so, you know, that and Locke does give sort of a look to Eddie that is a bit of a look of sympathy. And I can imagine after the Helen stuff, uh, John Locke is probably guarded, but I can still imagine that he has a bit of an open heart towards these things, right? That's sort of the tragedy of John Locke's character is that in spite of the various struggles that he faces, he is someone who is willing to open himself up to an opportunity and see the good in someone, even if that means that Lucy's going to pull the football away from this Charlie Brown again and again and again. Uh, and so, you know, in Eddie being able to just quickly set up this thing, John Locke's like, great, Geronimo Jackson shirt, that checks out. I'm ready to bring you into this commune. Um, where does Justin Chatwin as Eddie rank in the list of like worst one-off characters? Ooh, see, it's tough because like the actual character himself is fine to me. Like, again, this is just a guy doing his jump street thing of going undercover to bust up a pot farm. And I don't feel like... How do you do, fellow pot farmers? Yeah, exactly. But, and I feel like behaviorally, he is not as annoying as a character like Susan, who I guess is a two-off character, but still is very, very bottom of the barrel. Or even like uh, Jin's boss at the Soul Gateway Hotel, who's just a straight-up racist and classist. So I don't have as much consternation for Eddie as maybe some other people. He just seems like uh, part and parcel for just how not great this flashback is overall. I think the bigger issue is for me less with Eddie, the character. And I think that this is a very bad performance. I think Mm. like it's very, it's very on the nose. It's like very like, uh, like reading lines from a script is the way that it plays out for me. Mom's dead. Dad's a drunk. So, Uh, I mean, the thing is we find out from Eddie's background that he's straight out of the Academy. So maybe, for some reason, Stephen Williams told Justin Chatwin to play it like he's a very bad con man. Yeah, and if so if he's like a very, very bad undercover cop, 
then we got to say that John Locke has terrible copdar. Oh, right. Absolutely. Like he's got no radar for the police whatsoever. I mean, John Locke is someone who, again, is amenable for coercion. You better bet he's been sold timeshares. You better bet he's fallen for uh, mm-hmm. the Nigerian <laughs> prince emails. Maybe that's why he's so uh, akin to Mr. Echo at a certain point. Like this guy just seems. You know that scene in season two when he goes up to Anna Lucy and says, so I hear you're a police officer. Jack told me. Do you think that in the unseen scene where Jack tells Locke that Anna's a police officer, he's like, really? Yeah, he's like, I had no idea. No. (laughs) No way. (laughs) I pegged her as like a children's entertainer or something. I thought she was like like a dental hygienist. My God, Jack. No, that's Bernard. Bernard's not a cop? What? I thought they were (laughs) flip-flopped. Whoa, that's crazy. Uh, All right, so they get pulled over, and this horrible police officer shows up. Now, Uh, do you think that this was also, again, if we're sort of expanding the worldview, was this part of the con? Maybe. Did this cop know Eddie? Because Eddie does give sort of like a look to the cop that makes me feel like he's like, all right, like, you know, let's let's put on this performance here. Because otherwise, he's a very jerkish cop here in some sort of like nowheresville, California. Big time. Um, yeah, I, I think that he's, to me, he strikes me as just like, because uh, I think that there is some like panic on Eddie's face. Or maybe of Eddie being like, chill, chill, chill. Come on. This is a, this is a sting operation. Stop doing this. What are you doing? Oh, you're screwing it all up. Uh, like, it, it seems like this is all falling apart. Um, so I, I read it that way that this guy is just like a, a total doof, uh, where he's like, I could still pull you, I could still take you in for picking up a hitchhiker. I didn't realize that uh, was illegal. Maybe again, that's my own sort of, uh, focused worldview a la John Locke. Maybe, and also maybe I, it's cause like hitchhikers sort of went away a while ago. Well, I mean, it depends on where you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 both in terms of hitchhikers are not gone. Uh, and also, I have no idea what the legality of it is. Is it nationally illegal? Is it, is it state by state? Lawyers, write in. Let us know. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then this is when he goes, uh, oh, he's my uncle. Uh, and so the police officer lets them go without any follow-up questions. Oh, yeah, he's your uncle. When was his birthday? What's his what's his favorite color? What yeah. is, what is his what did he get you for your fourth birthday? No man who you says know? like if he said he was his father, I wouldn't believe him. But uncle, that's detached enough. Also, I just read up here uh, according to California Vehicle Code two one nine five seven, no person shall stand in a roadway for the purpose of soliciting a ride from the driver of any vehicle. So All apparently, right, there you hi- go. hitchhiking is, is legal, but you can only do it at like truck stops and rest areas and gas stations. This is what you come to down the hatch for, uh, questioning the legality of hitchhiking. Uh, I love that the cop goes away, and I hate this line read. This is what I'm saying. Is like, so what is it with all the guns, uncle? <laughs> yeah, that's a, was a, that was a weird writing, too, to have the last word of the flashback be uncle. It's so weird. Yeah, but someone like Josh Holloway could pull that off. Yeah, but Josh Holloway is like a one in a million person to pull off that kind of cheese. You know, everybody else is, is sort of like drowning in the mozzarella, whereas he's swimming Maybe. through it. I would love to drown in mozzarella. That sounds. <laughs> if I have to go, it's if kinda... I gotta go, that sounds like one of the top choices. <laughs> I'll just because I'll eat my way through. It'll be like landfill in uh, beer fest, except with mozzarella. Um, all right, so Locke is going into the sweat lodge that he's built. Uh, and he's going to start taking some hallucinogenic paste. We we uh, assume this was the boon paste from Hearts and Minds, I'm assuming. I 
I assume it's the boon paste from Hearts and Minds, and if we assume it's the boon paste from Hearts and Minds, why are we not to assume that what Locke is about to see is similar to what Boone saw, which is the smoke monster? I can't remember what we said in Hearts and Minds, whether it was the smoke monster or not. And yeah, boon yeah. paste, I don't mean in like the Jojen paste way that they he dug up Boone's body and turned it into a paste. Maybe just a sliver, though. See, maybe that's why just Boone like, appeared. It's because like, oh, crap, I shouldn't have put your eyeball in it. Took a tiny bit of Boone. Tiny bites of Boone. Um, so he goes in, he starts sweating in the sweat lodge. Oh, and there's eating- also a jerkish line here from Charlie being like, you're not taking drugs, are you, John? I only asked because of the strict zero-tolerance policy you've enacted. You were an addict! That's yeah, why he took the zero-tolerance approach. You were an addict, and you tried to drown a baby, and you started yes. a fire. That's why you were punched in the face, dude. Yeah, you don't get to yuck John Locke's yum, you know? He's allowed to, he's, he's an adult. He's allowed to make these decisions. Yeah, like John uh, Locke is, was you. not dare. John Locke was trying to do <laughs> scared straight of like trying, yeah. <laughs> like, well, I tried everything else. So I guess violence is the only answer here, Charlie. So he goes in, he's eating more of the paste. So it's, it's actually pretty amazing that he's not just like tripping out for the whole episode. He like double doses it. it seems yeah, like. I, well, I wonder uh, if maybe you a know, lot of in, in a cre- lot of this hallucinogen in creating the pace for a boon. You'd have to imagine he experimented with some stuff, so maybe his body built up a tolerance to it, so he really has to like overindulge in it to get into it. And maybe that's another reason why the sweat lodge like it couldn't just be tie himself to a tree and take the pace. He really had to like sweat anything out of his pores so that all he took in was paste. Pores. Um, okay, so he's. He sweats oh, out yeah, the only, smoke monster. Oh, yeah, if only the hatch was here. He could have taken a shower while ingesting the paste. He sweats out the smoke monster. The smoke monster releases some of its tendrils from John Locke's vocal cords and manifests in the form of the undead Boone Carlisle. And talking and about hair, this is uh, another bad one. Yeah, uh, well, you know, he's. I believe he's in Vampire Diaries mode at this point. They're just not even going to try... Uh, so Ian Summerhalder is just going to show up with whatever hair he needs to go back to the CW with. Can't blame him. But if that's not a tell that this is not the real boon, uh, it's like uh, they probably like confused his hair with some of Shannon's hair as like uh, the smoke <laughs> monsters like merging the two bodies at the at the boon roll site. Yeah. So the the reason why I personally feel like this is the island instead of the smoke monster is I'll go back to what I talked about during huh? which is that I canonically think that dreams are from the island, that for some reason the venom-like quality of the smoke monster has yet Mm. to infiltrate your subconscious and get into your headspace to create a dream. And I guess you could sort of uh, grapple as to whether this is going to be a dream or just an outright trippy fantasy. But again, outside of that Boone and Chan stuff, I really can't think of any other times that the smoke monster was like, putting this person in a completely different setting to really nail the point home. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that like you wonder, you, you do wonder about the Yemi stuff from question mark. Mm. Uh, I think that that is a question mark. Um, how much of that is the Island versus the smoke monster. And I think that uh, we come away with potentially different reads on that. Um, for me, the reason to view the Boone stuff here as smoke monster shenanigans is how it helps set up what's ultimately going to happen with Mr. Echo a little while from now. Um, that if you're buying the arc that the smoke monster is like, ooh, Mr. Echo might be a better choice to to like 
slap my my you know my chips into that corner and you know take his body and take his form moving forward I'd rather that than crusty old man john um that if he's testing that and if mr echo just got body rocked by the hatch and the polar bears right now that he would want Locke to go and pursue this man and be like all right i gotta make this call now i gotta send Locke to go and find that guy i gotta get echo back and I really got to put Echo to the test because if Echo's going to be the guy, uh, then I'm probably going to need him to to die soon so I can take on his likeness. Um, but it's not what's going to happen. Or the island is saying, look what Mr. Echo did. He was so devoted to keeping the electromagnetism under wraps that he would explode himself quite literally to get in there. That is a man who is devoted to the cause. He needs to be alive right now. So, John, I know I'm mad at you, but you have to do it. And I guess from both of our perspectives, in the continual war between Jacob and the man in black, Echo is like the piece that both of them want at this point. Yeah, but he's only going to make it for just a time. Just, yeah, just, just a smidge. Yeah, I don't think Jacob really estimated the uh, sever- no. I, both the severity of his injuries and his willingness to chase after a facsimile of his brother in a couple of episodes from now. Okay, so here's Boone, and he's telling him everything that you heard at the top of the pod. Uh, it's like, oh, you're sorry? Oh, what's that, John? I can't hear you. You don't think that, like, Boone is coming off, like, a little monstery? Like, I feel like yeah. there's a nefariousness to Boone here that he, the island wouldn't project. He's a little jerkish, which is fun. Because, uh, again, remember that hey, we, t- we quibbled with the point that Locke is directly responsible for Boone's death, but he certainly played a part in it, that, like... If this was Boone's resuscitated spirit, he probably would be a little angry <laughs> at John, yeah. you know, when he sarcastically says he was a sacrifice the island demanded, or even the snippy, you'll speak when you have something worth saying. Unless this was Charlie saying this the entire time, and Locke just hallucinated it on Boone's body, because I feel like both of them are really coming at him pretty hard. All right, so it's the big airport trip scene. Uh, so visualize that as you listen to it. <laughs> John, someone in this airport's in serious danger. You are the only one who can save them. Not them, they'll be fine. For a while. I think Saeed's got it. Next, please. Not Hurley. helping himself.
up, John? They've got him. You don't have much time. There it goes. I love that. There's so much to talk about with this. So the interesting thing about this flashback, for a number of reasons, obviously the airport setting, I just love that we really haven't gotten to like a lot of the trippy stuff with Lost yet. You know, we have yet to get into the time travel of it all, especially. So to have it really veer into like Lynchian territory by going into an airport, but still sort of like putting our characters in a modern setting, even though it's very uncomfortable, it's so fun. The interesting thing is, so, you know, Locke goes into the hatch in the beginning of Live Together, Die Alone. And so he doesn't really know the configurations that will end season two and start season three. Yet somehow in this vision, they're in the groupings that they're currently in right now, right? Jack, mm-hmm. Kate, and Sawyer yeah. are together. You have Jin, Sun, and Saeed together. Desmond's off on his own. Hurley's off on his own. It's it's really interesting. And I think, again, maybe that's another reason why I feel like it comes from something like the island or maybe the smoke monster is this is coming from some sort of omniscient being that knows what everyone else is doing, that it's sort of giving a hint to Locke, who doesn't know. This is not him projecting. He doesn't know where these people are or what configurations they're in. Instead, this really is like a spirit guide. This is a walkabout or a wheelabout in this case, as he's being shown where everybody is in the island of the airport. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, the, the the whole sequence I really, I, I do enjoy. I think that there are some people who are like, very sour on the whole episode and so they get soured on the sequence but i think it's i think it's a cool editing job my biggest hang-up is i wish this was the episode exactly totally agree i think this i wish this was the episode and not even necessarily it had to be at the airport the entire time uh i wouldn't be angry at that either i mean it'd be a definitely Uh, be a hint towards like the sideways universe right of like taking these characters and putting them in a, a setting we're not used to Right. I think that that exactly exactly. And in fact, uh, you say that and it just gets my wheel spinning of like, how crazy would it be if you had an episode where Locke was in the sideways or he got like knocked to the sideways or something? Oh, interesting. So like Desmond-esque where like his head is just like dashing. Where did these guys go? You know, where did these guys- <laughs> what ha- what happened? Where did these guys even freaking go? Uh, you know, with with the with the whole day that they missed. So uh, I would have I would have enjoyed finding that out at some point in time. I think could have been could have been good, but, but whatever. But this the uh, sound mixing from this scene particularly is incredible. We'll get to it from Jim Fells, but he like mixes so many different yes. lock motifs in, represented on different instruments. I love the stuff like uh, the hatch beeping, aka the supermarket scanner coming across when Ben is waving Jack, Kate, and Sawyer through TSA. A line that Sawyer is whispering to Kate is going to be from next episode, too. So, again, if we're talking about, like, looking in the crystal ball, that could show what's going on on another island. And I don't know if you noticed, but as uh, Boone appears at the top of the escalator, maybe a bit of a call back to his ultimate fate saying, come up here, John, and Locke's dragging himself up the escalator. Yes, the monster yes. noise goes off. Yes. So there you go. That's the monster, man. That's what I'm trying to tell you. It's the monster, and I get like if it's the if it's the island, the island would know where everybody is. But smoke monster moves real fast. Smoke monster would know where everyone is too. Smoke monster is the flash of the the, the, of know, the, the smoke universe. Mo- well, 
you do see smoke monster pov in the final season mm-hmm. for the first time right uh and he's like he's able to like kind of like leapfrog through his spots it seems like he's able to kind of just move with with the quickness uh so uh i don't know i don't know i don't know what any of this what know. any but, of this is all about but it's enjoyable i i really like it and it's nice to see ian summerhalder again i just wish that we'd seen more of him in this episode and i think that this would have been a better look than just sort of like the the trippy quality or, or the, the rather straightforward quality rather uh, ironically of the <laughs> of the drug flash well, well, speaking of trippiness uh we get another look of boone a la teresa falls up the stairs teresa falls down the stairs so again that's another yes. like fun callback to deus ex machina and then of course we're not we're taken out of it and just when we think everything's settled in we get a freaking polar bear jump scare at the last mm-hmm. second <laughs> yeah uh so there's the yeah that's what scares him out of the sweat lodge and Charlie like asks him, what, what did you see? What's going on? What are you doing? And here he goes. He speaks. I'm going to save Mr. Echo's life. And then Charlie's like, oh, uh, that's right, Mr. Echo. Oh, I oh, totally forgot about him. He's my friend. I should probably be part of this. And that's the thing. That's the one sort of like redeeming quality of Charlie this episode. Is he, he at least is helpful in, you know, it's, it's clear he has feelings attached to Echo. I'm assuming that's why he tails Locke, not just out of pure boredom. Uh, so he does have some like boredom. Yeah, some, some emotion <laughs> towards him from that perspective. But it also doesn't stop him from being, again, a little bit of a twat as him and Locke go on. I'm sure, Locke Holmes Whoa! is on the case. <laughs> Wow, that was hard. Uh, yeah, so that's what's going to happen is uh, Locke and Charlie are going to go off into the jungle. Uh, they find Mr. Echo's cross. Uh, Charlie's like, what happened to Mr. Echo? He goes, he got dragged off by the polar bear. He goes, but Sawyer killed the polar bear. No, he killed a polar bear. The polar bear is still out there. Yeah, so, I mean, we we saw, what's the last time we, we saw the bears obviously referenced in the orientation videos. The last time we saw a polar bear outright was special. I'm assuming, right? That's another weird thing about this. We have experienced so much big, bad, quote-unquote, stuff over two seasons of Lost. To go back to the polar bear, which was like a day one enemy, is a choice. It is certainly it's a, choice. a choice. It's a choice. It's definitely a choice. Um, and I believe this is like the last time a polar bear will really show up in any large capacity outside of the dead one in uh in you know in the season two episode or season four episode two i'm assuming yeah i but i i think probably wisely that they uh limit the amount of polar bear that we get on the show because every time that they've done polar bear stuff just doesn't look great no um and this this just feels like again like a step back to me like it's showing oh yeah now the big thing we're dealing with is the is you know one of our first enemies on the island just feels like to me a bit of a I don't know. They had nothing else to do. They're like, Echo's in danger somehow. Is it the monster? No, not yet. A polar bear found him and dragged it back to his cave. That's the ticket. That's the ticket. Um, uh, I believe uh, we have it in our in our notes for this episode that the uh, the polar bear this time around was a stunt person. Okay. Well, at least it wasn't CGI a la special uh, or, or the stuffed to, uh, animal a la the pilot. Yes, uh, a stunt person named uh, Jonathan Arthur dressed up in a polar bear costume to portray the polar bear in this episode. Well, hopefully the fire didn't get too near him because that... that You know what? I think it it was a good choice. I think that they did a better job with the polar bear in this episode than they did in special. Yeah, I mean, that's what you will say. Uh, That puts this episode 
Like, that's the one thing this episode has above special, in my opinion, is that the polar bear is done better. Though maybe they purposely also put the polar bear in a cave because they knew the darker we make the environment, the less people will be able to nitpick the appearance of the polar bear. If that was the only criteria, I would say that Further Instructions is a better episode than special. It is not the only criteria. (laughs) It it, it hits the bear (laughs) ratings better than special. Uh, So Locke's going to tell Charlie, don't come with me. Go back. You don't want to go with me. Bad things happen to people who hang around with me and oh. go to the And flashback. Charlie's saying, like, oh, I'm hearing that from everybody. I'm hearing that from Hurley. I'm hearing that from you. What's with all the yeah. jinxes on the island? Yeah, he's just getting cursed. Uh, so in the flashback, uh, they, they go up to the commune, drive through. There's sweet little Bobby on guard duty. Bobby uh, gets a sweet haul of a whole bag of candy from Locke. Yeah. Yeah, I need you to stand guard. We'll reward you with candy. <laughs> that's all, uh, that's that all is... Locke needed to say, and Charlie would have come along. Yeah. Uh, I need Geronimo Jackson. Uh, so Eddie shows up. He's got the Geronimo Jackson uh, shirt on. Uh, there's This is the cool spot. This is the place. Look, there's a sweat lodge. You can go in there. You meditate. You figure out if you're a farmer or a hunter, Mike. Yeah, who knew the sweat lodge is the career aptitude test or the sorting hat of the commune mm-hmm. of farmer? I don't know that I love the binary choice between farmer and hunter. Yeah, some listen, we've all played the Oregon Trail. Some of us need to be bankers as well. Can't you be like hunter, farmer, or potato? <laughs> I feel like I'm potato. Yeah, I feel like the role I would play in the commune. And I wonder like when you walk out of that, could you lie? Like, if you really don't want, you know, raspberry picking duty, are you like, uh, I'm Hunter, so I'm going to go out into the woods with this gun, and you can't question it because the sweat lodge told me to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is with all of this, except to, like, it's literally only here to, like, A, contextualize why John Locke knows how to build a sweat lodge, and B, to introduce the farmer and hunter concept into the show. Yeah, which, you know, we have to question him by the end of this, like, what turns John Locke into the hunter and whether John, the John Locke that we see in the walkabout flashbacks is the farmer. Cause he, when he lands on the Island, he is definitively the hunter, maybe not hunter of humans, but certainly hunter of boars as it were. So I, I wonder if this experience for whatever reason turned him from farmer to hunter. Cause otherwise it's, uh, we, we don't need it. We don't need it. John we, Locke's a farmer, by the way, John Locke's a farmer, right? Like that's the arc of John Locke. Uh, John Locke is the farmer who thought he was a hunter, but he was a farmer the whole time, and he sprouted the seeds of belief in these people, and they sprout into the people like Jack, who will go on and save the day, and Hurley, who will go on believing that it's his job to keep the island together. John Locke's a farmer. Well, he planted yeah, all of this. Well, stuff. that's the thing. I think that p- farmer has this like connotation of passivity. Of okay, you don't do anything, you just plant the seeds. Whereas hunters, they're aggressive. They go out and they get what they want. So. And to that perspective, I think, like you said, I think Locke is a farmer in hunter's clothing, that he feels like he, he's someone who needs to go after what he wants, but he's much more useful when he's the one being able to advise people as to what to do. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's his role. That's his role. Uh, big communal supper time. Uh, Eddie is welcome for, for dinner. Uh, and he has his Geronimo Jackson shirt and uh, Mike of Mike and Jan. It's like, ooh, cool shirt, Geronimo Jackson. Your dad's got good taste. He goes, yeah, my dad's old. Dad's drunk. Uh, oh. So he's already, I don't know why he's bagging on Geronimo Jackson. Josh, wait a minute. Could Eddie's father be Kelvin Inman? <laughs> Think about it. Geronimo Jackson's in the hatch with the record. Mm-hmm. 
And Kelvin Inman was certainly someone to imbibe many times while he was in the hatch. Could Kelvin Inman have ditched his son, Eddie, and gone to the island after, you know, doing a couple of tours in Iraq? Uh, Canonize it. It's official. Yeah. Well, I don't know which Inman, whether Kelvin Inman or Or Joe, Joe, Mm -hmm. but I think Eddie's (laughs) related in there somehow. Uh, So uh, John Locke says grace. Uh, he thanks the Lord for the rain so Adam can stop grumbling about the drought. Did, Another stupid Adam. Yeah, did, did, does someone on Lost just have a problem with someone named Adam in real yeah. life? Because now we're two for two in jerks named Adam. Not counting yeah. Adam, the skeleton residing in the caves. Yeah, it's bad bad news for all the Adams. Although that Adam is a bad guy too, yeah. apparently. you know, All Adams have behavior issues. All, ad- all, the, all the worst Adams. <laughs> uh, Locke says, thanks for helping me to not be so angry i love the way he says angry who would have thought you don't need to go to anger management and you know uh quibble away your problems on someone who owes someone twenty dollars just go to a commune and your anger will fly away yeah thanks for helping me to not be so angry i just love how (laughs) maybe that's just his hippie delivery right it's like you got to be more john lennon and just be a little smoother with no that's the guy who's gonna show up in season six oh yeah of course Uh, (laughs) All right, so let's leave the commune back to the to the island. They reached the hatch or what's left of it, uh, and it's imploded. And, they, and everyone's just cool with they that. Say, let's leave it there. Okay, let's move on. That's literally it, right? Like they <laughs> really don't spend any further time there. There is just no curiosity whatsoever about like, okay, so it imploded. How are you alive? <laughs> Maybe it's just that they've gone through so much shit on the island that like nothing can phase them anymore because otherwise they should understandably be freaking out like if you're looking for mr echo go into the crater see if there's tracks of the polar bear see what the hell happened to desmond like Locke made no mention to charlie that desmond's running naked around the jungle maybe that was an image let's see what happened did anything survive the crash perhaps that we could use to track mr echo like this is the mystery solve the mystery sherlock holmes it's just so strange just what, why is no one talking about this in any kind of like curious detail? Uh, it's th- this is tough. This is th- and I'm finding it actually a little bit tougher because this is my first time pacing lost out to a week to week experience mm. in a very long time. It's so, like being in this little stretch of just complete an utter absence of curiosity about what the hell happened with the hatch and the blue sky, the purple sky. Like it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. Anyway, so that's what's left of it. There you go. Uh, they find a boar. It's been gored. Uh, this is an active kill, Mike. <laughs> I love how many times are they going to say active kill in this episode? Uh, I think that's it, right? They only say it the one time. I believe Charlie, when, when Charlie says, talks to Echo, I think, uh, when they rescue him, they talk about how, like, Locke found an active kill, which yeah. means that the, you know, the, 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 the bear's chasing after them. The bear. Uh, how, how many, t- how many times are we going to continue to say active kill as we go through down the hat? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of got to hit the vernacular, right? Like, ec- yeah. like, if someone is bloodied after something or if somebody's after someone, there's an active kill. We'll see. Kill. We'll see if it takes. We've got a lot of runners at this point. I don't know if active yeah. kill is going to make a list. Nick, a la Nick and Desmond. There's plenty of runners throughout down the hatch. So much so I that we'll, we'll celebrate we'll need- them next week. We'll need the listeners to help us. If we want active kill to remain an active runner... Uh, you guys are going to have to write in with some killer, uh, some active killer, active kill jokes. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I just don't know if I've, <laughs> I don't know if I've got it in me. Um, all right. So there's the polar bear and the polar bear shows up and chases him. 
and that is uh, stuntman Jonathan Arthur <laughs> chasing <laughs> John, Charlie poor, poor Jonathan jungle. Arthur having to probably wear this like non-aerated polar bear outfit in the middle of Hawaii trying to yeah. chase these two guys down. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's up. And uh, John Locke throws a knife and it hits Hurley in the canteen. Let's, Let's hear it. it. Dude. Welcome, Hurley, to season three. It definitely sounds like it hit him in the butt. I mean... That sounds like a knife that collided with butt. Better the butt than the place that it would have hit him had he not had that canteen up in that moment. Like, John Locke yeah. could have straight up Naomi'd Hurley in that moment. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty reckless then, yeah. John Locke is still getting his groove back if we want to give him some rope here. Although, be careful giving John Locke rope. Yeah, because he'll fall down a well. And also, yes. you do something else with it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, Hurley's going to show back up. It's a funny introduction. Uh, one, one of the better scenes of the episode is Hurley just, like, being there with the canteen over his face. Yeah. Uh, with the knife sticking out of it. And it's like, this is another great quintessential moment. Very much a callback to uh, the blowing up of Arst with Hurley just succinctly wrapping that up with Dude. It's just, it's a fun little runner. And obviously, this is the first Dude of the season Dal and Servo start that counter up again. So oh, I believe Dal and Servo has started that counter up again. We'll check in with it later on. Uh, so Hurley's telling him what happened, what he saw. Henry was there. He's their leader. Locke seems to be taken aback by that. Um, and then he says, uh, uh, he, I think he brings up the sky to a certain degree, right? Or does he bring that up with Desmond? He'll bring it up with Desmond. We'll pull that clip later. Yeah, but he's okay. the one who brings okay, that up. Cool. Maybe he just sort of like, I don't know what Hurley assumes uh happened to Locke. Maybe that was done off screen. But yeah, Locke is pretty insistent on being like, yeah, 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 sure. Go go back to the beach. I've got an active kill. I've got an active kill to pursue. Yeah, that's Charlie's like, there's an active kill. You may want to hustle. There's a bear. What bear? Uh and so this is gonna be a moment where uh Charlie and Locke are wandering around and talking about polar bears being very clever. Charlie says I used to get high and watch nature programs. Dominic Monaghan, I don't want to weigh in on the state of his mind, but he would go on to create a nature program. Yeah, I was gonna say I do wonder if this to a certain extent was the writers being like, Okay, we know Dom, let's like, you know, write something in there about mm-hmm. how Charlie's a nature lover. And I also yeah. love that I guess polar bears are sort of like the velociraptors of the bear community. They're clever girls. Clever girls. There's a great alternate universe uh, flashback storyline for Charlie, where due to the fame of Drive Shaft, he had uh, like a nature program for, until U two steals it. Yeah, until U two <laughs> Bono, uh, Bono came in and, and swept it up. Uh, Bono too big time for a nature program. I would definitely say that. Maybe nowadays, considering how uh, environmental he is, I do feel like. He would make at least an appearance on, like, a Bear Grylls type of show about the the wilderness. I don't want to say that Bono's too high class for a nature program. I think if the money's right. You know, if he's going to sell out to Apple, mm. if he's going to score the Spider-Man Oh, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it'll be a thing where, like, uh, all of a sudden we'll be subscribed to, like, Apple TV Plus and a nature documentary from Bono will just pop up there and you can't get rid of it no matter how hard you try. Uh, all right, everybody. If that happens, we got to shut down the podcast. Because <laughs> yeah, we predicted we've, it. We're, 
we've willed something very strange into existence and we got to be very careful about those powers that we clearly possess. Yeah, hungry so, like the polar uh, bear is what will it be called? It will be called. Bono gets an Apple plus nature program. And that is the point where we decide to suspend down the hatch. Yeah. We'll have, a, we'll have a Booner roll episode. We realize that we, we need to use our powers for much good we'll close, than predicting we'll close Bono's it down. future work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike and I are going to get into a different business. <laughs> we're going to start working on uh, repairing democracy, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to find, the vaccine <laughs> do all sorts of better things with our abilities uh all right flashback time um eddie's gonna tell Locko, yeah you gotta mack it to lizzie she likes you and Locko's like she's like half my age she's better for you she's, she's, yeah. she's, she's too well, granola for don't me. worry we'll meet someone in season five who's more into that type of stuff than me yeah uh she's too granola for me is what eddie says yeah, so I, crunchy. Poor Lizzie is just like completely getting dressed down by these two guys when she seemed to like just politely regard them. Yeah, I think that this seems overblown in every category. Um, Eddie wants to know what's going on. Uh, first, I guess he makes a bad dad joke. Mm-hmm. His dad joke is like everybody here has uh, bad dads. Everybody here is about uh, everyone wants to know more about uh, everyone really wants a daddy here. And I was like, that's not funny. It's true. And also, about 20 years from now, that's going to take on a whole new meaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so nothing worth talking about when it comes to his dad. He doesn't want to bring it up. Uh, this is what Eddie's like, what's in the greenhouse, John? What's the big secret? I don't forget. I haven't forgotten about the guns. You guys got guns. You got secrets. And all the I while, know what's happening. Locke and Eddie pulling some mullen here, picking some peaches for everybody. Yeah, de- Definitely a side hustle of the pot farm is shipping these peaches straight to Ray Mullen's face. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe that's how they're getting their weed to Australia. Oh, it's like is, it's like a nice little mm-hmm. uh, trade here. Yes, like, OK, yes, the, they're yes. at the bottom of the peach jars. And that's why Ray Mullen had so many around his. Well, farm. how about? Th- yeah. How about this is they're packing up the peaches and the peaches are hiding the weed and the weed and the peaches are getting sent to Australia and Ray Mullen uh, isn't the peach fan we believe he is. He has the surplus of peaches because he's just trying to get to the pot. Mm, and then Ray Mullen sells some of the weed to Richard Malkin, which he <laughs> sifts through his house so that people will believe yeah. his absurd lies. Yes, and then Richard Malkin, in his fortune-telling chair, turns, looks directly into the eye of the camera which we are staring at as you and I are podcasting. And he says, Josh and Mike, you have the power. You have the sight. You should stop podcasting. You must save the world. Yeah. By the way, watch out for Bono's new show on Apple TV+. And then we realize that we have either been using the weed from the pot farm or the sludge that Locke took in the sweat lodge. And all of this is just one giant hallucination that we are all uh, sharing together. Yeah, if you, if you listen very closely, you can hear some airline terminal announcements indicating that we have never left the airport. Yeah, if you play this podcast backwards, it says John is dead. Um, all right. So he says, like, what's in the, what's in the greenhouse? I want to get in on whatever you guys try to blow up. And Locke laughs very hard. He's like, I'll talk to Mike and Jan about that. First, let me eat my, uh, my Ray Mullen peaches. Yeah, he has like a uh, very, again, maybe there is something in those peaches to your point, because he laughs very, very heartily in response to this. No, it's probably not the peaches, but he definitely has been eating edibles for sure. Yeah, because like this is like not just like a derisive, like, huh, like a scoff. He, John Locke laughs 
for I'd say a good ten seconds in response he to this. This it. is the most hilarious it. thing he's heard in weeks. Yeah, he loves it. He thinks it's great. I mean, it is pretty funny. If like Locke's like, we're just pot farmers, dude. Uh, and Eddie is like, you guys trying to blow stuff up. I think the the juxtaposition of that is pretty funny. Um, I don't know why they do need all of those guns though, if they are just pot farmers. I think like that is a little bit of like the it's the it's the mid two thousands and let's just demonize weed. Yeah, exactly. This idea of like uh, and, you know, I guess drugs are bad. And this is uh, I feel like this is right when weed is about to start too, right? Which also had its own sort of like criminal involvement in a in a certain perspective of like oh if you want to get involved with weed you're getting involved with the seedy underbelling of crime yeah yeah uh yeah i believe uh i believe weeds is already under yeah, i want to say it's oh i want to say it's oh six maybe that premieres yeah. or oh five yeah maybe this is the shared universe with weeds maybe this pot farm is not far from agrestic california where Mary Louise Parker is uh, getting her supply. August 8th, 2005. So yeah, we're a couple of months removed from the series premiere of Weeds. All right, not bad. So this is a prelude, a prelude to Weeds. Uh, Locke's going to go into the bear pit. Uh, he's not going to immediately regret this decision. Uh, he's going to go <laughs> in. He's going to get himself all nice and dirty and muddy to helpfully, uh, hopefully obscure the scent of himself. He should have just like, uh, pulled like a walking dead and covered himself in like, I don't know, the remains of somebody else. Well, actually, no, the bear would the active kill. Yeah, actually, the bear would be more attractive if he covered himself in boar blood. Oh, that's probably true. So he's trying to mask the scent. I guess we've just added ourselves as uh, instant kills rather than active <laughs> kills. If we ever encounter a bear very quickly, we would inactive become active kills. kills. Yeah, inactive kills for sure. John Locke has hairspray, and Charlie has a really funny line where he says, I hate to be the one to point this out to you. Locke says, it's not for me. Uh, that's that's a cute exchange, and that is like, uh, that's the peace offering, right? Yeah. Things are now, things are going to be better between John and Charlie for the rest of their relationship. And if, if there's one song to describe Locke's persistence, it is You Can't Stop the Beat. So the hairspray is also very appropriate. That's good. I like that. Uh, now I'm thinking of Harvey Firestein as John Locke. Uh, <laughs> don't tell me what I can and can't do <laughs> oh David yeah uh, so, so in the jungle uh, <laughs> uh, funny for three people alright uh, two of us are on the podcast so Hurley is in the jungle he hears noises he goes bear is that you and Desmond answers to bear apparently good to know nickname I mean listen college. I think certain people would regard him from a, from a certain community we could call him a bear perhaps they used to call me Bear Brother. Uh, and so he's Nakes. He's full Nakes. Uh, he woke up like this. He woke up like and this. And Tumblr's uh, just hatch- going boing in response to that. The hatch blew off his undies. Uh, and uh, Hurley wants to know more. And then Desmond just like walks right up to him, arms wide like a bird, fully nude. Uh, he's like, if you want to talk about this in great detail, we can do it. And Hurley's like, nope, I'm good. Here's a shirt. I love her. Here's I like, love Hurley. You know, Desmond goes, are you alone, brother? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I, oh, no, no, I'm not alone. And hoping yeah. that, like, saying he's in mixed company is going to allow Desmond to turn his pee-pee away. No, n- not good enough. Uh, so he's going to have this huge tie-dye shirt that he will give to Desmond that will uh, serve as a dress on, on Desmond. for the. Yeah, it's, for it's the very uh, Krista Hasty making a skirt for Rupert and Survivor Pearl Islands. Very funny, very funny. So they're gonna they're gonna hang out for a little bit. We'll listen in on them in a little and, while. And also, let me ask: so is, is Desmond like yeah. a little bit of a perv, or Jacob's a bit of a perv? If he's like, I'm gonna make Desmond survive. He has too much of a purpose to solve. But I'm gonna take all his clothes but off. But I'm gonna take all his clothes away. 
Um, maybe just time travel does that to you. Like the, <laughs> you're, the you're, intense kind of time travel he's got. Yeah, it's like a little Terminator-esque, right? And that his yeah. clothes couldn't time travel with him. Yeah, maybe. I'm going to need your clothes. <laughs> I need your, your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle, brother. <laughs> uh, so Locke's going to go into the cave, sees a toy truck, Tonka truck. Oh, this has really dark inst- uh, like implications. Does it mean that the Why polar bear ate? Why did he do this? Does Why mean did the polar put bear this? ate a kid? Yeah. Or maybe he's just like into Tonka trucks. Maybe the, maybe there's like a polar bear cub that really wanted trucks to play with. Okay. Well, I don't want to speculate on that too much. It's going to make me sad. Uh, flashback and Locke's going to go to the greenhouse. Weed everywhere. It's the big reveal. They're pot farmers. Yeah, and Mike and Jan, and who think- were so hippy dippy, are now very harshy darshy. Yeah, and I think that like that is the thing, right? That the 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 revelation that they're pot farmers, alongside the fact that uh, that Jan especially is just going to read Locke oh the riot God. act. <laughs> Jan's like, "You dummy! <laughs> you stupid idiot! Your friend's a cop." That's not just Eddie, that's Edward Colburn, you dummy. Edward Colburn Kelvin. Yeah. Uh, He was waiting for you on the side of the road, you stupid idiot. He played you for a sucker, you dumbass. Yeah, so I think, like, the juxtaposition of her, like, taking this heel turn to, like, being, like, the the angry old woman from The Princess Bride. (laughs) Boo! Rubbish! (laughs) slime muck uh like they like throwing that at Locke alongside like and now it's like you pair that with like drugs are bad yeah drugs are bad uh so this is part of it for me like i actually don't think that like Locke working on a weed commune is like super out of character necessarily he's like very into nature he's very spiritual i think that that actually flies to a certain degree i think it's like this incredibly harsh villainization of of, of like everyone who's into into weed has an astounding amount yeah. of assault rifles and they they're freaking out over the feds in this horrible horrible way like just this whole depiction is so cartoony to me yeah and especially compared to the fact that they have taken a much more sympathetic eye towards like con men and robbers and murderers in lost than they have at weed dealers it's just it's strange it's a little strange to me and i think that that is the piece of it that's the weirdest yeah. my favorite thing about this scene is how lit jan is stupid luck oh. you blew it you ruined absolutely everything, you dumb moron. Oh and Mike's ju- Mike is just like, man, John, you really disappointed yeah, it's me. It's real good good weed dealer, bad weed dealer. Yeah. <laughs> where, where Mike's really trying to calm lockdown. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like, you'd ha- I guess they have to run a really tight ship. Like, have they not run into this situation before where they've had yeah. to go on the run considering apparently how taboo this is? To your point before about, you know, the idea that Locke would be on a weed farm. It's a weird idea, but to your point, at least I would understand why he sort of is looking the other way on this. Because, again, if you look at his relationship with Anthony Cooper, Locke is someone who is willing to let bygones be bygones if you're more so welcoming them into the family. Like, the reason why Locke was so addicted to this idea of Anthony Cooper was like, yes, this dude was a bad person, but he was Locke's family at the end of the day. And it was that, like, unresolved relationship unrequited love that led Locke to end up deceiving Helen and then led Locke to end up so lonely that he turned to this pot farm. (laughs) So it does track to me that Locke would be someone that's like, you're doing something quote unquote bad, but because you welcomed me in and, you know, put me in as part of your family and community, I am willing to work with you in spite of that. Yeah. So he said, I'm going to fix this. I got this. I got this. How are you going to fix it? 
John's like, well, I think I'm probably going to, I'm going to murder him. That's what I'm working on. Oh, working great, on that you stupid idea. idiot, John. Yeah, what oh, an idea. Oh, you're going to kill him? You're going to shoot him? And then they're all going to come looking for their dead friend? And we're all going to go in a RICO case oh, and murder accomplices? You Mr. John Locke, oh, negative IQ. Bravo, bravo, John Locke, Mr. Clean. Yeah, so let me just say now, let's go back. I don't think Eddie is the worst one-time character. Jan might be. Yeah, I feel like, uh, do we have room in our MVP LVPs to take down Jan? I don't know that we do. I, I don't know. We might have to look at it. Uh, yeah, Jan uh, well, specifically. Like yeah, Mike, we, Mike and Jan might, might... I feel for poor Mike here, because Mike is just trying to run a business here. Jan is yeah. the one who's just tearing a new one into John Locke. Well, they're make, both... Make, I mean, like, they're they're both going off. They're both going off in their yeah, own Yeah, but she's ways. making Locke an active kill in a manner of speaking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John Locke has been eviscerated, and she's going back for more. Uh, all right, Locke's going to go... Uh, into the cave. He steps on a bone. Uh, and then there's a bear that's with Mr. Echo. And Mr. Echo goes, ah, help. And Locke's like, all right, well, let me spray the thing with fire. He shoots fire at the bear. And uh, I hope no Jonathan Arthurs were damaged in the process of filming. Yeah, the, the, bear, the bear just runs burning. away. Like, we don't get a kill here, just like in special. It's more so, I guess Sawyer's the only one that's able to actually kill polar bears. John Locke's able to just turn it away. He's not a hunter in this regard yet. All right, so let me get the active kill rules straight, too. Uh, the active kill rules would state that if this was an active kill, John Locke would have to return and continuously, like, uh, hairspray the bear. Yeah, you have, to, you have to keep coming back. You have to bear spray it each and every yeah. day to make sure it doesn't come back to that cave and kill any more. All right, so they, they, he saved Mr. Echo. He gets Mr. Echo out of the cave, but, like, let's put save in quotes, because Mr. Echo has been roughed the F up. Yeah, it's more so like putting a, a stop on the stopwatch of the timer that's sticking down to Mr. Echo's ultimate death. Yeah, it's bad. He's really covered in the guts and the gore. Uh, gore. Uh, Hurley and Desmond are going to be hanging out, and we're going to get a little bit of recap of events, plus a tease of the future. <laughs> So, when you say turn the key, you mean like a key key? It was a, a fail-safe key. That seems kind of convenient. I'm sorry? I'm just saying, if you had this magic key the whole time, why didn't you, like, use it? I didn't know what would happen. So what did happen? Well, the fail-safe key must have detonated the electromagnetic anomaly. Made the hatch implode. And you didn't implode? You're not gonna like turn it into the Hulk or something. So is that what made the the blender noise and the sky turn purple? I'm afraid I missed that, brother. Right, you were fail saving. Well, FYI, the whole island vibrated, and Kate and Jack and Sawyer saw it too right before they had bags pulled over their heads. Don't worry, Log's gonna go after them. He said so in his speech. What? What speech? All he said he was going to save Echo and kill bears. Right. Right, of course. I'm sorry. I'm just a uh, bit shook up. This is a cool moment. Yeah. Uh, because, like, this is like, oh, shit, it's lost about to do time travel for yeah, real is, is, about, is about to do the dead zone it does this dude see the future now and so like now they are imbuing their their main cast with like superpowers and not that like there wasn't you know shades of that yeah stuff with walt before. 
with Walt, with with Locke, uh, being able to walk again. Um, but it's been a minute since we've had this, I feel like. Uh, and, like, I don't know. There's something about, like, clairvoyance, uh, not Claire Littleton, that is a, a really exciting power to introduce to the show. And I, and I think, very clearly, this is foundational stuff to the rest of the narrative, to, yes. to where we're going to be going. Um, so, yeah, is this episode, like, <laughs> you know fun to laugh at and maybe not that good sure um but it has this really cool seminal moment in it as well and i think uh we we would be doing it a disservice if we didn't stop down all the joking to at least uh, acknowledge that this is a pretty cool scene yeah not only that but it also tells us what desmond's arc is going to be because i remember the news that desmond was going to come back for season three it's like cool that was a fun character but what the hell are you going to do with him now that the hatch is blown up like we kind of know him is there going to be penny involved somehow and no, it turns out that there, I don't think any of us expected that the Desmond use for season three would be he is psychic and he is going to work firsthand with the main character to try to prevent his death from a certain perspective and also sometimes have the ability to hop back and forth between timelines and consciousness, consciousnesses like that feels yeah. like a distinct shift in loss in a really fun way. So I agree. I, I like dropping it in here. I like dropping it in with Turley who in and of himself is also going to have a superpower develop very soon as well. And, you know, you could also say that there's some fun lampshading here in the beginning of the scene with them sort of talking about the fail-safe key. I don't know, one of my pet peeves in pop culture is when a show, like, lampshades itself, makes fun of the tropes that it uses, and then does nothing to improve upon them. So again, sure. like, it's fun for them to cheekily be like, oh, it's so convenient, you just happen to have this fail-safe key, but at the same time, when you then fail to follow up on what exactly happened and what the key did, it's like, uh, all right, maybe making fun of yourself, I'm not going to give you too much credit for. Um, okay, so we are going to go back with Locke and Charlie and Echo, and they're walking him through. Uh, and Locke is really patting himself on the back. He's like, oh, I burned that bear pretty good. <laughs> I like that. Uh, so he tells him that he saw Boone in the spirit tent and that he told me I have to clean up my own mess. Uh, and Charlie said, you know, Boone's dead, but I agree with him. Yeah, Charlie was like, is that a poop thing? Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, is that the best? Because I know a diaper I could recommend. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> are there any buddies? Are there any buddy smugglers on Porto yeah, Shit? Any buddy smugglers? Yeah, I don't think I haven't seen any buddies. Uh, we're using cloth diapers for Aaron, it would appear. Um, but that might be part of why Charlie knows his way around a diaper. Okay, we don't know. Oh, no, we don't. Let's uh, not get but- <laughs> Uh, Locke says, yeah, I know, I know. If I hadn't told Echo to stop pushing the button, uh, everything would have would have worked out. Uh, that's what it means to clean up your own mess. And Charlie says, spoke like somebody who's had uh, a lot of messes to clean. Shut up, Charlie! You're an addict! <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, he has a lot of judgment for, <laughs> for, for Locke, for sure. Uh, all right, flashback time. Uh, it's gonna be Locke and Eddie in the forest and Eddie's like, you talked to Mike and Jan yet? He's like, yeah, they're oh, cool. Goes, oh, oh, Jan, talked to me. Oh, uh, Jan, talk, I talked to Jan. Said, yeah, Jan says it's cool if you're part of the thing. He goes, that's great. <laughs> Eddie says, I hate that. I hate that so much. Uh, let's listen into the rest of it because there's a bird in the in the woods, and Eddie turns to look at it with his gun, and then Locke pulls the old Rousseau. <laughs> he pulls his gun with the firing pin in it. And John, uh, John has that, and Eddie's gun's unloaded, and a tense standoff ensues. John. Eddie. 
What are you doing? Did you know it would be me? What? In the truck? Did you know it would be me driving? Did, did they choose me? They? John, I have no idea what you're talking about. I didn't load that one. So how about you just answer the question, Eddie? Yeah. They chose you, John. <sighs> Why? Because you hadn't been here long, didn't have a criminal record, and the psych profile said you would be amenable for coercion. Uh, amenable for coercion? Hey. Lower the gun, John. Okay? This isn't personal. What's not personal? Stop, stop. I'm sorry, John, but you're not going to shoot me. You're not a murderer. You're a good man. You're a farmer. Nope. Not a farmer. I was a hunter. I'm a hunter. I'm gonna walk away now, John. Yeah, I'll give it to Terry O'Quinn. He really works this scene. Like this is a big John Locke uh, moment because again, it's it's sort of like him maybe being a bit too big for his britches, holding this gun up to Eddie, being like, "I'm going to kill you! I'm going to kill you!" And the tears and simultaneous frustration on Locke's face as he struggles and eventually relents from actually pulling the trigger is, is a big moment. But what I will say is actually sort of similar to what I said last week, where another reason why this flashback maybe doesn't work terribly well, especially compared to the previous Locke flashbacks, is we're getting a little cyclical with the Locke flashbacks like we did with the Quans, where it seems like between this and Deus Ex Machina and Lockdown, it's like Locke is in a good situation. Locke is comfortable. Something happens and Locke tries to deal with it. He fails and ends up miserable. And this works much less than those other two that that I just mentioned. And maybe it's because we've seen it a couple times before. Yeah. Yeah, I think that this is a big season three hang up, you know, is a lot of a lot of instances like this uh, of just like we've seen this before. What are you what are you showing me that's particularly new right now? Um, And I, I think as far as like the enrichment of John Locke, I don't mind it because it is a powerful Terry O'Quinn performance, to your point. Um, you know, and you can see once again that this is not like his dad robbing him of his kidney or his dad faking his death and ruining his relationship and therefore his life. But this is just like some shit kid who has deceived him and he's been fooled once again. And he's been told by this shit kid that the authorities have a psych evaluation mm-hmm. of John Locke that says that he's amenable to coercion. That's a tough pill to swallow. And, you know, we'll come to find out that that is, you know, pretty accurate, big, <laughs> a big part of what gets him killed. Uh, so that's tough. That's tough. That's hard. That's hard. And, and so I think like as that applies 
to the broader lock arc. I can incorporate that. I can find value in this. I can. It's a good scene from the Terry O'Quinn perspective, much less so from the Justin Chatwin perspective. <laughs> Justin Chatwin Twitter, please don't come at me about this if you're out there. Um, uh, Justin Chat Twitter, I believe, is what they mm-hmm. call it. But I, I just uh, Chatwin is an upcoming service. Uh, but I, I feel like it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's just whatever. You know, it's mm. just whatever. It's just whatever could have been better weird to exist on the show not totally pointless and not totally out of character and i think that that's the important piece to underline for me is it's not out of character i think like in like the the sloppiness of the episode and sort of like uh not quite nothing burgerness of the episode but like the sloppiness of the episode the sort of like does do we need any of this of the episode um it's it's fairly it's fairly accurate to who the character is in the long haul i think Mm. so that that helps me if not necessarily forgive the episode i can just sort of weather it i can tolerate it i'm not frustrated with further instructions in the way that a lot of people are um i just i would i could take or leave it and i would lean towards leave it yeah unlike some of these other episodes nobody is really acting quote-unquote out of character or very unsavory from my from that perspective and so that does i agree put it like a nudge above those episodes yeah like sadly like charlie is very consistently bad right now Right. Exactly. He's been a shit for a little while. Yeah. And so and I do feel like, again, maybe the one of the reasons why this this flashback feels unnecessary is because this is John Locke. He's someone who thinks he's found his Shangri-La, that he can escape his uh, his own personal foibles. But then he falls right back into that trap. He falls back into that bear pit and then realizes firsthand, like, yeah, you're you're you know, you can't escape yourself. And as he talks about with Charlie, like bad things follow him just because of who he is as a person. All right. Uh, so the, the the action continues. They find a stream. Charlie's going to go and he's going to go and get some water. And Locke is going to stay with Mr. Echo, who's just in the roughest of condition. Uh, and he's going to use this as an opportunity to make his confession, as it were. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I ever doubted you. Sorry, I gave up on my faith in the island. I messed up. Now our people are captured, and if I just listen to you, if I just let you keep pushing the button, I could have gone with them, protected them. Could have saved him. You can still protect them. You can still save them. I don't, I don't even know where they are. You will find them. After all, you are a hunter, John. So, as as much guilt, understandably, as Locke feels about all this, I'm going to push back with his thoughts that if I went with Jack and Kate and Sawyer, I could have saved them. Because uh, we, we know that from the end of season two... Uh, they sort of wanted to walk into that situation. So I'm not sure how much Locke, quote-unquote, protection would have helped them. 
I believe he believes it, though. Yeah. Oh, of course. This is a John Locke yeah. savior complex, right? Yeah. 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 I believe he believes it. How does Mr. Echo know about the hunter farmer thing? Is it because when Mr. Echo spent the day in limbo between the hatch imploding and him getting captured by a polar bear, he traveled to the pot farm in time? <laughs> yeah, this, there's going to actually the be thing. a Dave-esque uh, flashback at the end where the final flashback was actually everyone getting arrested and the camera panned around, cutting to Mr. Echo as the cop that arrested them. Ooh, that's a great idea. He was working on the task force. He was Eddie's handler. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I went from being a Nigerian drug lord to being part of the anti-drug task force in California. Yeah, he was Eddie's handler, not to be confused with Evan Handler, who mm. played Dave. Yes, exactly. It all it all connects. But yeah, I mean, I guess uh, the question is, I, I wonder if this is like a little bit of residual paste, if Locke is just so exhausted at this point that like he is visualizing it. Because by the time Charlie comes back, Echo has been passed out. So the big question is, did Echo actually wake up and talk to John, or was this another vision? It's the smoke monster wrapping its tendrils around Mr. Echo's uh, vocal cords and making well, like him a ventriloquist. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Now watch me drink uh, this glass of water while Echo tells you that you're a hunter. <laughs> yes, one of the uh, undersung uh, superpowers of the smoke monster is his gifts as a ventriloquist. Uh, because if it's the island uh, speaking through Echo... Calling him a hunter would be inaccurate. That's not right. He's not a, he's not a hunter. He's a farmer. Uh, that's who John Locke is. A the, the connotation of you're a hunter, I think, is kind of malicious. Mm. You know, it's like it's like the you're recruiting uh, the the incels to like your your terrible cause to like take down uh, the, the all these people who owe you so much. That's like what the smoke monster is doing to lock through this line. Like you're a hunter, John. You are owed things uh, just by virtue of being you've been denied. Uh, and so it feels like that's that's what the connotation for me is in, in reading this line of you're a hunter, John. Uh, strikes me as pretty dark. I see. I took it more so as sort of like whatever it is advising John that, you know, when John initially entered that, uh, when he talked about the, the sweat lodge, he said, okay, this is where you find your direction. In telling him that he's a hunter, this, you know, really shows John that unlike that commune, this is your direction, this is your conviction. To your point, I think the connotation behind said conviction might sway one way or the other. But this is a really pertinent line for John because in an episode where he has been rather aimless, you know, after the hatch blew up, after he realized he was wrong, he really didn't know what exactly to do. And whether it be the island or the smoke monster tricking him, either way, he's being convinced in this moment, like, this is the direction you need to go in again. You are on the good path. Take a step back on. You've been away for a while, but we're happy to have you back. Happy to have you back. All right. Uh, well, John Locke and Charlie and Echo are going to go back to the beach uh, with the passed out Mr. Echo again. He's passed out again by the time Charlie shows up. And they're going to bring him back to the beach. And we're going to hear this aforementioned Locke speech. And we are also going to meet some new friends. You all right? Yeah. Just keep walking. Hey! John? Charlie? What happened? You got him. Is he alive? We need Jack. Pick him in. Jack's not coming back. Dave got him. What? What are you talking about? Jack's gone? I don't understand. Okay, when were you planning on telling us this, Hurley? What do you mean they? Who's they? They are the others. And yes, they've taken Jack. 
and Kate and Sawyer. How? What happened? Well, what about Sun and Jim and Saeed? Are they okay? I don't know. I'm going to find our friends. I don't know how yet, but I will. We're going to find them, all of them. And then we're going to bring them home. But first things first, we've got to look after Mr. Echo. So Paolo and Nikki bring towels and water. Claire, we've got to clean them up, so bring all the first aid supplies you can find. I'm going to disagree with Charlie here. Kind of a weak sauce speech from John Law. Not a bad speech, is what Charlie said. Which is, again, surprising coming from Charlie, who you think would be the person to dump on it. But especially compared to the infamous, we're not the only people on this island, and we all know it. It, it really yeah. does pale in comparison. Uh, I don't really, yeah, it it doesn't do too much it's, it's for me. Like, but when I pulled the speech, I'm like, wait, this whole scene is only a minute long. Like I thought yeah, the whole short. the it's whole quick. monologue, if you will, would have gone on for much. It's just Locke basically sending out like a memo or a tweet, being like, oh, uh, you know, Jack's not coming back. I'm gonna find them. Uh, you know, hashtag take care of Mister Echo. Hashtag find bandages. Um, and then Hurley is having deja vu. As he's uh, watching Desmond skipping rocks, Desmond uh, foresaw the speech. And so uh, he's like, that dude can see the future is something he's going to say later on. I also love that Desmond has not found any other clothes. He's just wearing this giant oversized T-shirt. Like, yeah, I'll I'll pull this off. Let me go to my priorities, right? Here are the priorities. I'm going to show back up to the beach and I am going to start skipping rocks. My favorite activity. (laughs) It's the first thing I want to do. Before I uh, find a new set of clothing. Yeah, it's the bookends. Last thing I want to do is read Charles Dickens. The first thing I want to do is skip some rocks. Skip Uh, rocks. You also might be listening to this clip and say, who are those random other people that I don't recognize before who are speaking up? This, my friends, is the debut of Nikki and Paolo, the infamous characters of Lost Season 3, to the show. And they just show up, you know, like yeah. they literally just... Like they're just <laughs> around. Nikki yeah. rises. Paula was sleeping, and which, I mean, we'll talk about what scenes got deleted. It makes a lot of sense more so in, in retrospect. But yeah, they're just sort of like, what's going on, Hurley? Where's Jack? You really can tell that they truly want to be like, they've been there the whole time because they know these people's names and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's weird and like Hector. I have to say Hector because Paolo is is played by Rodrigo Santoro, who plays Hector in uh, Westworld, and it's like he brings himself back online yep. by the palm tree. And I will also say, by the way, Hector Escaton might be one of my favorite character names in all of television because it's just so damn badass. And compared to Paolo, uh, though, I guess at this point he's probably most remembered as a uh, Hot Carl from Love Actually. Mm, that's right. That's right. The object of a Laura Linney's uh, yes, Americanized gaze. Yes, uh, he's got the glasses on. He looks great in Love Actually. Yeah, I mean, listen, he is the the hottie frittati of the office for a reason, and here he is. As we're going to talk about very soon with some deleted scenes, uh, also romancing some other people on a different setting. I like uh, how Nikki is like channeling her best Jan towards <laughs> Hurley. When were you going to tell us this, Hurley? Yeah, he literally just showed up, dude. Like he just got back. Yeah, they really are. Like this is a good characterization of Nikki, who is a little intense and a little aggro. If I remember my perception of Nikki, is that like she's just like going out of ten, 
at all times, while Paulo is a little bit of like her accomplice from a certain perspective. And we get that here. We're like, again, Paulo just woke up from a nap. Well, Nikki takes her time to just immediately turn on Hurley uh, for not giving her the information. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, it's pretty true to form. These characters sort of just come and go, Nikki and Paolo. Um, I'm not mad to have them here. I think it's going to be fun to have Nikki and Paolo in our in our discourse for the next little while. I, they're so stupid. They're so dumb. Uh, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to like track Nikki and Paolo, right? Because again, we see Lost has done a, does a really great job the vast majority of the time of bringing new characters in. And the one that sticks out by far is this where they really try to sell you on, well, they were there the whole time. We just didn't watch them. And now we're going to seamlessly tie them into this <laughs> ever-growing ensemble. And the seams are out and about. And they are freeing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, we'll see how they how they deal with them in expose and everything. But the, the contention of, of Lindelof and Cuse is, uh, we know that they were bad. And we knew it before you knew it. <gasps> and so we took care of it. Uh, and I, I maintain Exposé is one of the best episodes of the show. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to get into that uh, when, we, when we get there. It's just such a fun hour. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, the question um, is, will that destination be worth the journey in a certain perspective? But I think yeah, given the way that yeah. we're going to look at their journey, I think we're going to have a more uh, digestible time with it than we did in the moment watching them. Um, so there were deleted scenes of Nikki and Paolo. We were supposed to see them introduced in, in different ways. I actually haven't checked out these Ugh. deleted scenes. Have you? Yes, I have. Uh, We've included them in the show notes, so you can, you can check that out if you want to check it out. So here's what happens. Uh, there's a, I, and if these scenes were included, I will flat out say I would have given an MVP point to Claire and LVPs to Nikki and Paolo. So thank God, from their perspective, they did not get an LVP point in their debut episode. Because here's what happens. There are two scenes involving Claire, Nikki, and Paolo back at camp. The first scene, Claire hears a rustling coming from Jack's tent, and she walks in on Nikki and Paolo having sex. Mm. That is the first glimpse we get of these two characters is creating the smoke monster with two backs, in the tent <laughs> of their leader. Claire yeah. awkwardly, like, fumbles it. You know, uh, Nikki's like, oh, I'm so sorry. We were looking for aspirin. And Paul's like, why, did she, why do you need to be sorry? And then, if that wasn't, uh, you know, bad enough, it's followed up by a scene where Nikki finds Claire, and they have an extremely awkward minute-long conversation where Nikki says, oh, we, we wanted to go into the tent for aspirin because Paul's had bad headaches. And then he just, like, looked at me and then we just had to go at it. And then she's like, he and I have been having performance issues since the crash. Like, this is just, God, it's terrible. I will flat out say it's awful. I mean, I guess it's laughable in a way of like, my God, I can't believe this would exist in a Lost episode. But I am so glad they cut this out because, by God, if this were in the scene, I know I said I would put it above, you know, a drift and fire plus water, but it might sink to that depths for mm. me because... This would have felt like a C-plot that not only feels inessential, but an outright terribly awkward and forced comedic way to introduce characters. Um, let's get into some feedback from folks. This is once again from Jesse Camacho. We're, we're looking at Boone at the moment. And Jesse writes in, This episode would have worked better if they had somehow expanded the Boone hallucination to last throughout the episode. I know it's kind of silly, but Locke finding his faith again through the island manifest manifesting as Boone could have been really cool. I yeah. think you and I agree on that, Mike. Um, Daniel Brennan offered this, though. 
Uh, Daniel Brennan offered, I like the idea of bringing Boone back as a way for John to work through some of the mistakes he made in season two, but the execution is bizarre. I think it would have been a much more moving scene if they had just had Boone and John talk in the hut. I really can't imagine anyone watching that sequence and thinking, yeah, this is a good choice. Ooh, a Boodle episode. Yeah. Um, Well, I do think that often, like, when the ghosts show up, there is sort of a nonchalance to them. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good point. And, I mean, I guess, and the, I mean, I know Christian Shepherd is technically a ghost, but I feel like when he has appeared uh, throughout his time before, you know, fully becoming the smoke monster, that is sort of just like he comes and goes. But that would have been an interesting thing. Obviously, I know you had to get locked in the jungle, you had to get Echo rescued. But if they did take the swing and say, okay, this is just going to be John reckoning with himself inside a sweat lodge i don't know actually i do feel like the fandom at the time would have definitely complained of like it's just john sitting in a sweat lodge for an entire episode but i do yeah, feel no like way it wouldn't have worked wouldn't but, have but worked. i do feel like in the lens of modern television i think we would have looked back on it with a kinder eye of like listen yeah that's it's fine if you stay in one location as long as you focus on the character it's sort of like what we talked about in lockdown which essentially became a bottle episode for lock and ben yeah, I think I think you know it all very execution dependent. I think one thing about the Boone scene um, that we didn't talk about that I really like is um, when Boone is uh, he says like uh, don't don't you're you, you're sad about what happened to me? Don't be. I was a sacrifice the island demanded. And then Locke tries to speak like he's really trying to like mm. say some stuff. Uh, and then Boone says, "Don't bother. You'll you'll be able to say something when when you've got something worth saying." Um, and I read that as a continuation of this idea of Locke being fairly down on himself about letting this poor kid get killed. Yeah, it's a, it's a and, continuation and, of that monologue in question mark, right, where he's yes. like, "This kid, you know, I, I this kid fell to his death because of me." Uh, him. Again, at this point in time, also, he does not have renewed faith in the island. He still is directionless. So I think it does make sense that he holds on to that guilt, considering how big of a pivotal moment question mark was for his whole relationship with the island. Yeah, and I, I think that this this idea of uh, uh, at the end of the episode or towards the end of the episode, when he's like, what did you see in the sweat lodge? And Locke seems really happy. He's like, Boone, I saw Boone. I think that this is... This is a bit of a, you know, this is like how Stella got got her groove back for John is like he he like kind of like he feels absolved of the guilt about getting Boone killed uh, and that like he is now that like Boone's spirit guided him towards saving Mr. Echo does make him feel like maybe Boone was a sacrifice the island demanded. Maybe you were right back then. Maybe you are supposed to be walking this path. And I think that this is like sort of like the uh, the the overpuffing of his chest that's mm. going to get him into some further trouble, which is another reason why I think this this smells smoky to me. Uh, the the whole thing. Well, it's, um, uh, it feels like closure. It actually reminds me a bit of Abaterno when Richard through Hurley talks with his late wife of like Locke was so hung up on this one thing. And maybe that also speaks to the island side, though, that it's like, okay, you uh, left, you know, the island faith because you thought about Boone. What if I were to, to to bring the spirit of Boone back to you and tell you that it was okay and for you to move on? I know how amenable to coercion you are, John Locke. So again, it goes back to this idea that we've been talking about from the very beginning when Locke was showing off the backgammon uh, or the Senate pieces of him sort of being a player 
or a piece on this board between two ultimate players. But it's it's an interesting, again, moment for John. And that's why he, when he does have something to say, it's only after he's able to, like, absolve himself of that guilt that he has held on to, at least for the past couple days. This is from John Krause. This is great. In the bizarre airport dream sequence, I, I enjoy looking for the symbolism with what the characters are doing. Why is Desmond hanging out with the ladies? Not only that, but well, I guess it's less so about like the uh, the womanizing of it all. But he's a pilot, which I thought was very interesting. Like, and the fact that Hurley was working for Oceanic Airlines could this be a hint towards the fact that like Desmond and Hurley would be like working for the island in a certain perspective, and that they have more superhuman abilities than everybody mm-hmm. else? Because I thought that was an interesting tactic that. Every, yeah, I like that. Everyone else, except Ben as well, actually. Wait, Ben was an employee too. Oh my God. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. We might have just yeah. stumbled into that revelation. Yeah, I think if you're working for the island, you're working for Oceanic. Uh, that works. That works for me for sure. Uh, but I also just, it is such a funny sight gag of just like Desmond, just like loop to do, just like Hello, down the escalator. Yeah, very funny. Um, Dallin Servo says Boone says Claire and Charlie are okay for now is it safe to assume the writers already had the Charlie plotline ready to go I would say yes yes uh, I, I expect yes and I, and I think it's actually pretty clever of like they're okay for now it's like a little unsettling but not so urgent and for now it ends up being a lot sooner than, than you expect it ends up being by the end of the season yeah uh, and also apparently uh, an, an e-online source said that once upon a time uh, they scripted for Charlie and Claire to kiss in this episode, but the idea was scrapped, which thank God, because if the end of live together, die alone taught us anything, it's that Charlie and Claire kisses often come at the worst times. Yeah. Uh, Eric Divestein asks, what is Charlie standing guard for? As we've established the arrival of you two. Um, yeah, do you have but, any but in, other uh, thoughts in, on the matter? To give a more sincere response, I guess Locke thought for some reason that maybe Apollo or Nikki or another gawker would crash the sweat lodge and disrupt his concentration. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go and give out our... Oh, before we give our, our points out, uh, give us some takeaways from from the great Jim Fells' work this week. Yeah, so there is a new theme that comes up for John Locke that sort of symbolizes like his newfound path, his, his, his uh, as you said, him getting his groove back that recurs throughout the episode. We're also going to hear it again uh, during the break when Locke you know, has Anthony Cooper tied up to the tree. Uh, we also hear it when the man in black returns to the island in Follow the Leader. And probably most pertinently, we hear it when in the sideways world in front of the church, Locke gets out of the wheelchair and uh, and walks in. And another fun little callback is uh, when Locke and Charlie find the imploded hatch and for some reason do nothing about it. We hear the same thing as when Echo found the question mark in the episode of the same title. Nice. Okay, cool. Um, MVP LVPs, Mike. You've got three MVPs. I've got two. I've got three LVPs. You got two. Lead us off because we're all over the board this week. Yeah, because this has a lot of weird stuff going on with the characters. Uh, I'm going to give one to Hurley here. You know, he was given the mission at the end of the season to go back to the beach by himself and pass on the message. He was able to. Plus, he's able to you pick up on, on Desmond's abilities when nobody else is. So I enjoy, I think... Uh, Hurley was one of the beacons of light in this episode just as a character, and I want to acknowledge that. Uh, I'm going to give one to Locke, and I know that we're besmirching further instructions, uh, and I know he gets duped in the past, and he arguably gets duped here as well. Um, But he burns the shit out of that bear. You know, he gets his voice back, lickety-split. 
so I have, I think, a fairly impressive showing from John Locke in those regards. Uh, gets his groove back. Uh, managed to survive whatever happened in the hatch without much incident. So that's pretty impressive as well. Um, and Terry O'Quinn is fantastic as always. You know, I think making uh, making the most out of what he's been given in this episode. Yeah, I will say that I think uh, it's a net positive for Locke. Yes, he does get tricked by Eddie and ends up having an entire commune get arrested. But him being able to basically save Echo's life for a couple of episodes and being able to find his voice quite literally again is an overall good thing for Locke. Uh, I'm going to give a point to Desmond here because he does accurately predict that Locke is going to make a speech. And as we'll talk about over the course of the season, sometimes his predictions are not completely accurate. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give an MVP point to the smoke monster, Mike. Mm. And I know that this is uh, an interpretation contingent, but I am going to interpret the boon of it all as the smoke monster and the smoke monster regaining some control over John Locke and getting John Locke back on the path towards what he's going to need him for in the long run. So uh, I think this episode is a big win for the monster. He gets an MVP point from me, first one of season three. And speaking of that, I don't know where he falls into. So I'm just going to give a point to Boone. Again, I don't think this is the outright Boone Carlisle coming back from the grave to talk to John Locke. But what Boone was able to do, no matter who he was serving, was get John Locke back on track. And from that perspective, hair be damned, he was able to do so. So in, uh, you know, in death, uh, posthumously, I'm going to give a point to Boone. I think that's fair. Uh, Boone is now at a negative one overall. <laughs> I think uh, you, I will, we'll definitely give him a point for uh, being able to uh, help get Shannon and Saeed back together in the Are end. we really? You sure about Well, that? I think it depends. Uh, listen, we've been <laughs> Shannon and Saeed stands, so I think the podcast yeah, maybe, position might be a maybe. little bit different. So we have that maybe. to look forward to a year from now. All right, we'll see. We've got some. Uh, we got a couple of Boone things that we can weigh in on in the future. But uh, will he come out zeroed out in the negatives, in the positives? This is a great source of tension uh, for the for the two point three section. Um, all right. First LVP, going to Eddie. I don't want to elaborate. I just don't like the guy. Not a fan. Not a fan. I like Justin Chatwin and a lot of stuff. I just think he's really bad in this scene and in this role. Yeah, I will. It was a he was trying to channel that spirit bomb, but it ended up completely bombing in a different regard. (laughs) Uh, And staying is John Locke uh, with Terry O'Quinn be a good choice for Piccolo? No, more so for Krillin in like the guy Uh that just like like he dies a lot. Uh, He old man Krillin. Yeah, yeah. I think I I, maybe it's just because of the lack of hair, but that's the first comparison that I. You were once again broad brushing the bald. He just needs six dots on his forehead, and he's got he's got it there. Uh, I'm speaking in the flashbacks. I think we were able to to talk our way into giving Jan specifically an LVP (laughs) point here. I love Jan, though. She's a great character. I wish Jan was along for the ride. (laughs) You stupid idiot! Oh, God. Every time Locke makes a mistake, like, imagine the end of season two. Instead of, of, like, like Jan appearing as a ghost, (laughs) being like, you dumb idiot! You blew up the world! I love it. I love it. I love Jan. Uh, All right. I'm going to give one to Charlie for all the reasons we've outlined. Charlie's bad in this episode. And... Hopefully, I mean, this is supposed to be the the season of redemption for for Charlie Pace, right? Uh, this is going to be the one where he's going to, if he's ever going to turn this ship around, it's going to be here in season three. Well, I'll tell you right now, over in the overalls, he's coming into season three negative one, and in the overalls, he's negative five. Oh, it's a big, big hill to climb because he got dinged up so bad in season two. Yeah, sort of like Echo uh, in the Bear Cave at this point. But yeah, I, I do wonder. If he doesn't spend as much time with Locke in this season, if that's going to help his character. Because I do feel like Charlie couldn't help himself when Locke was in 
uh, a supplemental position that he just wanted to lord over him, and that caused him to be lord. so jerky. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to d- give my second LVP point to the Polar Bears. It's been a while, but look, you make an active kill, you got Echo on the ropes, and you don't finish the job, you get turned away by a little bit of fire. I'm, I'm going to scorch the Bears for this one. All right, and I'll give the third and final LVP point to marijuana. Man, we're really an anti-drug <laughs> podcast between heroin and marijuana ending up on our LVP list. Well, I just figured this was an opportunity, right? Like, heroin already has an LVP point. It has a few Several. LVP <laughs> points. It's got five LVP points overall, in fact. Uh, and we we opened the door to do inanimate objects get uh, uh, dinged up in the MVP LVPs. Uh, and I think maybe like this is an opportunity to like really solidify our position on that. Yes, but only if they are narcotics or drugs, <laughs> uh, recreational drugs. Yeah, we need we need uh, a, or narcotics. Um, we need like an org chart of like. And I'm you- not saying I'm, like marijuana doesn't get an LVP for me in life. You know, pro legalization. I've obviously spent my fair share of time around it. Wish I still could. I have ruled that out for myself at least for the time being. Um, but its depiction in the lost universe, Mike is such that uh marijuana is actively bad yeah. in the world of loss it, you you protect it with uh, tons of, of of guns you get really mad at your people if if, if we want to blame all of, of mike and jan's anger on marijuana uh so yeah i think uh as it's depicted in further instructions marijuana is an lvp it's a reason why this episode is so controversial Mm, right yeah exactly like, you know to the point where i can imagine we get to stranger in a strange land and tattoos get an lvp wow the oh no that. that's gonna be a mixed bag for me someone who's staring yeah. down the precipice of getting his first i know you gotta be careful so yeah marijuana careful. maybe not an lvp in life but definitely an lvp in lost in this regard approach with caution you know consult your physicians all that stuff um but yeah in, in law in the lost canon no good no good um so yeah, we now we've like we've added a lot of people onto the board for season three. Uh, lots going on. Sawyer and Juliet still the leaders. Uh, Jack and Mister Pake still the, the yeah. bottom of the. And, of and the we'll pack. see. Next week is a, a big Sawyer episode. Juliet has some stuff to do as well, and I'll be intrigued to see where Sawyer falls next week. Um, all right, so uh, we have fewer episodes to discuss as far as the four point two stars. Um, no no surprise here that of the three we've gotten to or maybe it is i don't know uh you could it certainly further instructions wouldn't be beating a tale of two cities at this point yeah but but i think maybe it, there were, it, certainly some people have rated this above the glass ballerina right yeah i think it's a worse episode than the glass ballerina for sure i think the glass ballerina is like a pretty harmless episode um and i i think that further instructions is a mostly harmless episode too but it is an episode that it's a John Locke episode. These episodes are supposed to be events and it's just yeah. not an event and it is sloppy. Um, I, I don't think it is, um, you know, I, I, I went back and forth. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, it a little bit more than I expected to. Like I had more fun with it than I expected to. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to give it like that homecoming type of bump here. It's a better episode than Fire Plus Water for me. Mm-hmm. I was higher on Fire Plus Water 
than I should have been. But as I've said before, like I can't go back. I I know that you have it within you, Mike, to travel back through time, Desmond style, and change some scores. I do not possess that ability, so I'm just letting stuff lie on the field. I had fire plus water at a two point five. I regret that. That should be lower for sure. Um, but further instructions can't be lower than a two point five as a result, even if like maybe that's what it is. Honestly. Um, I'm going to put it at 2.6. It's the audience average. I'm going to go with the audience on this one. I I can see uh, worlds in which I have that a little tiny bit higher or a little tiny bit lower. Mm. But let's just keep it at 2.6, and I'm happy to move on with my life. So going to my rubric, uh, I'm going to throw this in the dud category. And Homer Simpson is smiling when I say dud, where the good stuff is essentially few and far between. Uh, Because, yeah, I think that there is some good stuff. I really liked the dream sequence or whatever sequence you want to call it in the airport. Cause that was super out there for lost, but actually really well done. The cinematography in particular was not done like a lot of the other trippy dreams that we had. It felt very unique. I think the journey of Locke is really, this is a very interesting step in it, even if it's not uh, the most well done. And I think, you know, this serves as an important thing with uh, the Hurley and Desmond stuff. And I will say of the, three endings we've had so far. I certainly like this one better than his name is Ben. Obviously it does not beat the Red Sox reveal, but I think that the big cliffhanger of, Oh my God, Desmond might actually be psychic is, is a pretty cool thing, especially with what we're going to see throughout all of lost. So the dud category is a 2.0 to a 2.4. I agree. I like this episode better than fire plus water. I like this episode better than Adrift. And I like this episode slightly better than whatever the case may be. Whatever the case may be had more stuff in it than I thought I would like, specifically like the the B and C plots. But again, as I said before, unlike episodes like whatever the case may be in the other two, this didn't really have characters acting out of turn or behaving in ways that made me so frustrated personally. And so I'm going to make it a smidge higher. Whatever the case may be, got a 2.1 for me. This gets a 2.2. So... Maybe at the end of this, this will be one of the worst episodes of Lost, but I do agree with you that I enjoyed more of this episode than I thought upon initial approach, given what it's sort of remembered for. So it gets a 2.6 from me, a 2.2 from you, a 2.6 from the audience for a 2.48 overall, and that's the worst of season three thus far. And Mike, it is um, it is the fourth worst episode of Lost overall through this point in the series. Based on our rankings, uh, it is only above whatever the case may be, adrift and fire plus water in that order. I mean, that, again, as I just mentioned, that makes sense from my perspective. But I think this also says, and we could talk about the other episodes as well, that like even in the worst episodes of Lost, there are things to find. Like, again, this episode had the airport sequence and the introduction of Desmond's powers. Adrift had that really beautiful scene where Michael says goodbye to Walt and, you know, some of the the Desmond and Locke stuff. Uh, Fire plus... Maybe Fire plus Water is the one that sticks out, but whatever the case may be, had, you know, the scenes with Charlie and Rose uh, bonding over Faith. Like, the thing is, is that there are very, very few episodes of Lost that are outright bad from beginning to end. There are always a few things to enjoy whether it be a trippy dream sequence finding out somebody's psychic or us predicting that bono is going to drop a tv show <laughs> in apple tv plus yeah but i don't think that this episode is an active kill i no. don't expect us to return to it for feasts anytime soon no no we, ha- uh, we had our meal and we're ready to not necessarily go back to it anytime soon though i don't know yeah, I'm, indul- that, I'm indulged in something and i'm pretty hungry afterwards 
In the Down the Hatch canon is, uh, and the vernacular is an active kill, an episode that we have already watched and podcasted about, but we keep going back to for further feasting. I love that. So, like this episode, yeah. Deus Ex Machina was an active kill, and that we kept Deus Ex Machina. It. Deus Ex Machina is an active kill. Uh, Tabula Rasa is an active kill when we mm-hmm. bring up Tabula Rasa, as we do. Um, but uh, I would say further instructions is an inactive kill. I don't expect we're going to go back to it too much, although I do think we will go back to it uh, for the cost of living, because I think that there is some stuff here that we may want to juxtapose against the cost of living. But we've got other business to attend to before we pay the cost of living. We've got Every Man for Himself, the Sawyer episode that's coming your way soon. Uh, we need your feedback by August 9th at the latest, uh, and that podcast will be coming your way on August 12th. We will also have our one-year anniversary special coming your way on August 15th, 8.15. And then the cost of living will be coming your way August 21st, at which point we are back on track with our regularly scheduled programming. Get all that feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. Especially send us your moments to highlight for that one-year anniversary podcast. Uh, If there are any funny sound clips, any funny moments from the podcast, we would love to hear from you. What really stuck out to you? Because we'll pull that stuff and we'll relitigate all of that on the podcast. I think it'll be very, 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 very fun. Um, Mike, what else you got going on? So, uh, obviously, elsewhere on another island, on the Hydra Island, I suppose, uh, Rob has a podcast, the main feed. Of course, Big Brother All-Stars coverage has begun. And I know it's a little late, but I do want to plug something that I think, Josh, you would immensely enjoy as well. Since I know you are a casual uh, Big Brother fan, and that you've heard of names, uh, you barely glean stuff from Twitter, you mute the hashtags, but I did something very fun. I got together with three other casual RHAP personalities in Nick Iadanza, and Bryce Isaiah, and Shannon Gus, and I did a casual cast assessment of what turned out to be the cast of Big Brother All-Stars, where essentially I showed a picture to them, they had to guess who that person was and what they did to necessitate becoming an All-Star. They had to test their own Desmond-like abilities to see how psychic it was. The result is, without a doubt, I think one of the funniest podcasts I've, I've had the pleasure of being a part of in a while. So be sure to check that out on uh, robhasawebsite.com slash YouTube. There's a lot of images to follow along. So yeah, outside of the other, Beyond Top Chef, Tough as Nails, uh, B&B stuff, the usual stuff going on. That's a nice little extra special treat that we threw in there this past week. Cool. That's fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out. But yeah. Uh, I'm I'm excited for everybody who loves the Big Brother and Big Brother's back. Great for you. Very happy for you. Especially now. I've always felt that way, but especially now when uh, new content is harder and harder to come by. <laughs> Hence why we're talking about a 15-year-old episode of Lost next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, that's also just fun. That's just fun. I would I would be we we did this we were ahead of the curve uh before mm-hmm. flattening the curve was a thing we had to do. <laughs> Uh, all right. We're going to be back next week talking more Lost, every man for himself, and then the one year anniversary special. Thank you for your patience with this episode coming a little bit later than usual. You get rewarded with two episodes of Down the Hatch next week. So we will be back for our double dose in just a little while. Take care, everybody. Bye bye.